0: Since you're my special friend, come closer for a special treat. I'm going to let you touch me in a special
1: place. It is never okay to touch someone else's private parts. Your mom and
2: dad will tell you so.
3: Britain's Prince Andrew, the Duke of York, is right now a prince without military titles or royal patronages. He's no longer referred to as His Royal Highness in any official capacity. Buckingham Palace announced these changes after a ruling from a New York judge earlier this month, allowing a lawsuit against the prince to move forward. Virginia Jufre claims that financier Jeffrey Epstein arranged for Andrew to sexually abuse her multiple times when she was a minor, allegations Prince Andrew has repeatedly denied. In a statement earlier this month, the royal family said Andrew is, quote, defending this case as a private citizen. Here to talk about the distance between the Queen's second son and the institution of the monarchy is Sonia Soda. She's columnist at The Observer, published by The Guardian, and joins us now from London. Welcome to the program.
4: Thank you for having me on, Sarah.
3: This is maybe the most significant action the palace has taken regarding Prince Andrew since 2019, when it was announced that he would no longer perform royal public duties. But you recently wrote that the removal of his titles should not be a reason to praise the royal family. Tell us why.
4: So I think the royal family left it till the last possible minute to do this when it was clear that the lawsuit was going forwards because the judge in the New York court sort of threw out some of the attempts by Prince Andrew's lawyers uh, to sort of get the case quashed. And I, I think it's something they should have done um, a while ago when these allegations first emerged. Of course, one reading of this is, you know, these are allegations. Um, Prince Andrew is like everyone else, um, innocent until proven guilty. Uh, So why did they need to act before this? But I think that Prince Andrew has already done a lot to bring the royal family into disrepute, things that we know about. So the fact that he has socialised with Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell over the years. And in particular, he gave an absolutely terrible, disastrous interview to the BBC uh, back in 2019, where he failed to show very little empathy with Epstein's victims. And it seemed to be more about protesting his innocence and making clear that he was an, an innocent man. So for me, I'm afraid that was more than enough to think that the royal family should have acted before this point.
3: Maxwell, of course, was the woman found guilty of helping Jeffrey Epstein sexually abuse girls. Um, Why do you think, Sonia, that the Queen has finally made this decision? Uh, Is it just about public backlash?
4: Well, I think it's completely untenable for the Queen not to do this, uh, given, I think, what we're going to see as a result of this case moving forward. And and, obviously, it's not clear yet whether it will actually proceed or whether it may be thrown out on another technicality whether Prince Andrew will appeal the decision the judges already made but what is clear is that there's going to be much more focus on Prince Andrew as a result of this moving forward from this point onward and there's going to be much more scrutiny applied to some of Prince Andrew's claims so um That is going to bring the royal family into great disrepute. So I think she had no choice but to take the action that she's taken. And I think the thing to say about um, the Queen is she has shown in the past that she's willing to be fairly ruthless when it comes to members of her own family, when it comes to protecting the institution of the monarchy.
3: Right. You, you write n- not only about uh, royal power, but male power here. And, and you describe, quote, the grim familiarity in the wielding of male power. Prince Andrew, you know, holds different types of power here in this situation. How, how did that inform his reactions to Dufresne's allegations?
4: Well, I'm afraid that I think the way that Prince Andrew has reacted is quite typical of men who are accused of these sorts of crimes. And obviously, we, we don't know yet whether these allegations stand up in a court of law. But I think it's important to say that we know that Virginia Giffray was a victim of um, Epstein and Maxwell. And I think the tactics that he has used to go after her, they look very, very bad. They're tactics that other men who are guilty of crimes have used men like Harvey Weinstein for example the sorts of things that he's tried to do is you know discredit Dufresne and I just think that these tactics I mean you know some might say well look if Andrew really is innocent what choice does he have but to sort of throw mud to this woman who is accusing him but I I think if he is innocent He should just look to tell the truth and stand up his side of the story without casting mud on her. And I think it looks extremely bad.
3: As we mentioned earlier, Prince Andrew is defending this lawsuit as a private citizen, not as royalty. And there could be various outcomes, a settlement, maybe a trial. Regardless of the legal outcome, do you think that Andrew's role in the institution of the royal family is over?
4: Yes, I think it's over. I don't think he can come back from this.
3: That's Sonia Soto, columnist at The Observer, which is published by The Guardian. Thank you for being with us.
4: No problem.
5: That there was no such place. I had a vague idea that Rio de Janeiro was a place. So I kind of kept that in the back of my mind in reserve. And if all these other places fail, I could probably wind up, join the Navy or something and go to Rio and I could escape for a few minutes from being black. And uh, a lot of black people thought that way in the back of their minds. They were looking for a place. That's the gist of what I'm saying. But the racists, this thing called white supremacy over a period of years, about 1957 while I was in Japan, I began to realize that you got to turn around and just grab it. It's no place to run.
6: Everyone has a breaking point two black visitors to Brazil recently reached theirs after being subjected to racism. Their responses are resonating among black Brazilians. NPR's Philip Reeves reports from Rio
7: de Janeiro.
8: Luis Fernandes Jr. is a postgrad student. He's from the tiny West African nation of Guinea-Bissau. A few years ago, he moved across the Atlantic to study in Brazil. He chose the city of Salvador. Its population is mostly black. Eu vi que tem cultura. Fernandes says he thought he'd feel at home in Salvador's Afro-Brazilian culture. The other day he went shopping and found out he was wrong. No de Fernandes says he went to a fashion store in a mall and bought a backpack. After paying with a card, he left the shop and went to a bathroom nearby. Eu vi dois segurança. Um, there, he was accosted by two security guards. They accused him, he says without evidence, of stealing the backpack. A furious Fernandes returned to the store.
9: No, 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 no. Oh. Oh.
8: The scene was filmed by an onlooker. O é a this was about skin colour, says Fernandes, a feeling that a black person just shouldn't be in a shop like that. Black activists say incidents like this are common in Brazil. What's different about this case is Fernandes' response. He's suing for hundreds of thousands of dollars. He says he's the victim of defamation, defamation, slander, xenophobia, and above all, racism. Fernandes believes the only way to stop this is to hit companies in the pocket. Two days later, a thousand miles to the south, another foreigner in Brazil was lining up to check into the Hilton, on Copacabana Beach in Rio de Janeiro. His name is H.L. Thompson. Thompson is an African-American music producer and entrepreneur who lives in the Bronx.
9: It's like I'm there, you know, I'm standing in line, minding my business, waiting for to get checked in, to receive my keys.
8: Thompson is a Hilton Diamond member, so he was standing in the priority line. A couple walks in, a Brazilian woman and a German man. And they just storm past me
9: and, and when they first stormed past me, they brushed me off. You know, the shoulder to shoulder and, and this and that. Thompson says the couple cut the line. And when he objected, they turned on him. I mean, the language was just unacceptable from right off. I mean, I was called the N-word. She kept grabbing my arm and, and just grabbing me and, and getting in my face and yelling. And, and I was like, slapped her arms off of me and was like, yo, get away from me. Stop touching me. I don't
8: know you. Give me my space. What is wrong with you guys? Another guest, also an American, whipped out his cell phone and started filming.
10: They're still talking. You're not supposed to separate the party.
8: Life, the woman attacks Thompson, grabbing his head. The German starts to move towards Thompson.
10: Oh, oh, hey, hey, hey. Oh, my God! Oh,
8: with a single punch, Thompson knocks him out cold. She touched him. It's
5: all on camera. Everything is camera... It, 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 it. Everything is
9: on camera. It was just a quick self-defense reaction, you know, because I saw him coming and I'm still trying to get this lady off of me. So it was just like all in an instant, like after
8: it happened, I'm like, oh, man, this could have been avoided. A police source told NPR that hotel security cameras picked up the couple's racist abuse. Police have told prosecutors the couple should be charged with causing racial injury. They've also recommended Thompson be prosecuted for causing bodily harm. Both the West African student, Fernandez and Thompson say they're swamped with messages of support. Some people are criticising Thompson for that punch. It It generated heated debate on TV. Yet many are sympathetic.
11: For me, he's completely
8: right, because he was attacked first. The woman hit him first. Jamila Ribeiro is a writer and black activist. In Brazil, we are fed up of these kind of things. Yet she thinks many black Brazilians would be afraid to do what Thompson did.
11: Because they know that the response of the society, the response of the police, can be very violent. That's why I think a lot of Brazilian people were actually glad to see this kind of
9: reaction. The support of the Brazilian people, uh, man, they came and droves to support me. And I mean, I'm still getting messages daily by the minute. It feels weird to me to be called a hero, but <laughs> it's like so many of the comments are just coming, uh, you're a hero, man, you're my hero, or thank you so much.
8: Thompson says people keep sending him this. A song attacking racists. It's by a celebrated Brazilian rapper, Jonga, real name Gustavo Pereira Marques. Marques was caught on video recently punching a security man who he says repeatedly racially abused him. Just over half of all Brazilians are black or mixed race they're mostly poor. A decade ago, affirmative action became mandatory in federal universities. Yet black Brazilians are still hugely underrepresented in big business and politics, and hugely overrepresented in the number of violent deaths. Attitudes to this ingrained racism are changing, says André Santana, a leading black columnist. He says Brazilians watch those protests in the US over George Floyd's murder.
12: George Floyd foi uma imagem. This made
8: a big impact here, he explains. People don't accept being victimized anymore, he says. They've run out of patience, so they're reacting. For H.L. Thompson, this has a familiar ring. In the U.S., I've been discriminated against many times,
9: you know, and just for the colour of my skin, whether it's driving while black
8: or just walking while black or shopping while black. Thompson has been visiting Brazil for years. This time he came to launch the Sly Fox Fest, a festival named after his entertainment company. The idea is to build bridges between New York and Rio, bringing together their art, music, fashion and street culture. Thompson knew from Afro-Brazilian friends about Brazil's racism problem. Yet he was shocked to experience it firsthand as an American abroad. Because you feel
9: like you're on vacation and you want to get away from all of that. And you're foreign, so you might be looked at a little bit different.
8: He's struggling to
9: get over it. You get so sick and tired of being sick and tired of just dealing with racism, 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 racism. And it's like, man, you look in the mirror sometime, you're like, when will it end? When will it stop, man? When will people, Understand that, you know, we all are God's children. Thompson still hopes to keep coming back to Brazil. Oh, man, by by all means. I mean, I love Brazil. I mean,
8: it's like nobody will take that joy away from me. Even so, that joy has been tainted now by a nasty dose of reality. Philip Reeves, NPR News, Rio de Janeiro.
13: I've seen what's around the corner i've seen what's over the horizon and i promise you you niggers have nothing to celebrate and know i won't get there with you i'm going to canada
14: we do want to begin in the hockey world the east coast hockey league has now suspended player jacob panetta for making an apparent racist gesture at fellow canadian player jordan suban now, a warning here the following may be distressing for some viewers, but take a look right now. Cell phone video taken of the incident. Suban can be seen in the red jersey being led away from a scuffle by an official. As Suban turns his back to skate away, Panetta in the white jersey appears to raise his arms to his sides and makes a gesture. Now, Suban is accusing Panetta after the game of imitating a monkey. Game officials have given Panetta a misconduct penalty for inciting, which includes obscene gestures. Now, Jordan Subban tweeted his reaction to the incident after the game. He said, quote, more like Panetta was too much of a coward to fight me, he says. And as soon as I began to turn my back, he started making monkey gestures at me. So I punched him in the face multiple times, says Subban again, and he turtled like the coward he is. Well, for reaction to this, we are reaching out right now to retired NHL hockey player, Georges Larocque. Georges, thank you for joining us today.
15: Thanks for having me.
14: Listen, I wanna begin with your tweet about this incident because you have gone on social media. You you, you asked the question, when is this ever gonna end? Suspend that kid for life. Uh, Talk to us about your initial reaction, your reaction now after seeing the cell phone video circulating.
15: Well, the thing is, with Boko, what happened with Boko Imama it was just a couple days ago where the guy got punished 30 games. So this went around the world. In the, in the hockey world, it's a small world. So I'm pretty sure every player knew about it. So now that you're just composing what just, what just happened and how, you know, we think that, you know, hockey is going the right direction, you know, suspension are stiffer. A couple of days later, another racial incident happened. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. When I saw that, even though it's another league ECHL, which is a professional league too. I was like, that's why I'm wondering, when is it gonna end? Because 30 games is not enough. What's gonna be the next step? That's why I'm like, you know what? This cannot be going on like this and stuff. So just suspend the guy for, for life. Get him out of the league. Show everyone that you don't want this anymore, that in 2022, we don't want that. Like with 30 games, It's a step the EHL did, but now pressure is on ECHL because back then it was one or two games, but now that they did 30 games, now they know the pressure is on them. They have to react with this. And to be honest with you, I know he he got suspended indefinitely, but I'd be surprised to see him play another game this year.
14: Mm -hmm. Now, I hear you asking a question, uh, when is this going to stop? And I hear the outrage in your voice at this incident. But are you surprised that you yourself face racism uh, as you played hockey? Are you surprised this is still going on?
15: Well, yes, I'm surprised. I faced most of the racism that I faced was when I was a kid, when I played minor hockey. In the NHL, I got one small little incident, but, you know, I can't say that in the NHL, there's a racial problem in there, you know. But now you're looking at hockey, like professional hockey. It's not just like the NHL, like they have stiffer suspension and now they work so hard uh, to help other leagues, like to, to, to also make sure that there's respect. And, and, you know, and the NHL is the bar. And now the HL, they took a stand behind Boko Mama, and I, ECHL has to take a stand. But I can't believe that in 2022, with everything going on, with all the protests, with, with the COVID thing brought back, like, the, the inclusion stuff, with w- make, make sure we respect, like, people that are homosexual, people from different sexes, make sure that we're all equal. And with everything that's been going on in society, everything what we've talked about, the fact that this incident like this that happened, I'm almost wondering that player that did this, does he live on the moon? Man, are you watching what's going on out there in a society to do something else like this, thinking that, what, it's going to go okay? It's going to be unpunished? Like, are you kidding me? If you can't see what's going on and you can't, like, you can't respect, you know, your peers, the player you're playing against, then you have no business playing hockey. You have no business playing professional hockey because, you know what, if you can't respect others, then stay at home. And you know, live in a bubble because to me that didn't make sense.
14: Now, of course, this doesn't happen in isolation. There will be kids uh, of all different ethnicities of, uh, that will have seen this, will see this. What do you say to children of color, to racialized kids, as they try and enter the sport and still have to deal with racism? What do you say to them?
15: You know, uh, I, I can't say to them that uh, you know there's not going to be any more incident because that would be a lie. So what I would say to these kids is that. You know what? Play the sport that you love. And there will be small incidents there and there. But you know what? We need you to pursue and play the sport that you love because one day you will be a role model to other kids that are going to want to play that sport. Because the more of you that's going to play this sport and is going to love it, the more minorities that's going to be playing hockey, the more minorities will be more comfortable uh, playing hockey as their dream, knowing that, you know, there's many other kids like him that, that made it, that, that you know, that were a role model for them, and then they will be encouraged. Because if kids are afraid to play hockey, and they don't, and that's exactly what we're doing with the NHL uh, Inclusive Committee, is that inspire kids to play the game that they love, despite everything that is going on. And then we try to reinforce rules to make sure that all the kids, everybody feels respected. So that's why incident like this that happened it's not just bad for, for Subban, but it's bad for all the kids, the parents that are watching. Because you know what? If a parent and a minority kid is watching an incident like this and it's like, I was country putting my kids into hockey. No, you know, they're still wrestling in hockey. So I won't. Although already that hockey is labeled as a as a, as a white man's sport. Incidents like this are not helping. So the broad scenario of all this is no good. And that's why I'm so so mad about this. Because, you know, it's a step backwards every time we see an incident like this. But we can't be discouraged by this because now there's rule. And I can't wait to see all the leagues going to step up for this to to give an example, to make sure this never happens anymore. But you know what? I hope that I'll still be alive one day that that every year we won't see any more incident like this.
14: George of the Rock, thank you for this. I appreciate the time. Thanks for having me. Well, in the course of our conversation, we did get some reaction. Now, this is coming in from Jacob Panetta's team, the Jacksonville Iceman, and they have released Panetta from the organization. In a statement, it reads as in part, our core values as an ownership group include one love and zero tolerance for racism or any forms of hate against any group whatsoever. Though the investigation, they say, and review is ongoing at the league level, the Jacksonville Iceman will be releasing the player involved effective immediately and will continue sharing our love of community and hockey. Again, that is in part the statement that we're now getting from the Jacksonville Iceman.
0: To
16: me. Oh, love you, Lord.
6: My soul. If anyone thought that Christian nationalism would decline with Donald Trump out of power, they were mistaken. The movement of conservative evangelical churches that believes America must regain its Christian roots is stronger than ever. Yet more and more mainline Christian congregations are speaking out to say that Christian nationalism is wrong. NPR's John Burnett reports. And I
2: heard about the Sunday service at the Patriot Church in the town of Lenore City, Tennessee starts out like a lot of evangelical worship. Hands aloft, Bibles in laps, full-throated singing. When Reverend Ken Peters picks up his wireless mic, the service takes a sharp turn to the right.
0: Don't let the mainstream media or or the the left tell you that we were not a Christian nation. You know why there's churches everywhere and not mosques? Because we're a Christian nation.
2: The sermon, titled How Satan Destroys the World, zigzags between familiar grievances of conservative Christians, like abortion and trans rights. But what makes this church different is its embrace of the contemporary agenda of the far right— Masks and vaccinations violate religious freedom. The participants in the January 6th riot were proud patriots. The Biden administration is evil and illegitimate.
0: You know he's not the most popular president in America. How many Biden parades did you see? Yet he beat Trump with 70 million. Give me a break. We know something's up.
2: Christian nationalism is on the march providing a godly underpinning for right-wing activism in venues like school board elections and anti-vaccine protests. The movement holds that America is Christian, that the government should keep it that way, and Donald Trump was and is their best hope to accomplish that. After the service, I sit down with Jim Willis, a 72-year-old retired Army colonel and software salesman who wears on his lapel an American flag inside of a Christian cross.
0: This is a spiritual battle.
2: It's good versus evil. Willis says he and his wife fled California for Tennessee because of heavy-handed COVID restrictions, and the Holy Spirit led them to the Patriot Church, which is not afraid to jump into the fight.
0: And unfortunately, evil's taken charge. And we know what their agenda is. Their agenda is to close down churches, to get rid of religion permanently in this country.
2: When I point out that President Biden is a lifelong Catholic who attends weekly mass, he responds... No, he isn't. No, he isn't. In this partisan fissure that we're living in, imperviousness to facts is a sign of the times. I head outside to talk to Murray Clementson, a law school student and father of three kids, all homeschooled. He was among the 80% of white evangelicals who voted for Trump in 2020. Is this a Donald Trump church?
12: I think it is a Donald Trump church. Donald Trump represented what we stand for as a, as a nation. You go to fly over country, and people have good moral values. They, they love the Lord, and they, and they want the best for the country. And that's what Donald Trump tapped into. That's what he represented. The
2: next morning, I returned to Lenora City, to the barn-like building with the American flag painted on the roof that's home to the Patriot Church. It came into being while Trump was president, and it's done well. There are currently four campuses in Tennessee, Virginia, and Washington State, with about 350 members. Two more locations are on the way. Reverend Peters greets me with a warm handshake. He's a rising star on the Christian right and one of the few MAGA church leaders who welcomes journalists. Peters believed so fervently that his candidate won. He went to the Stop the Steal rally in Washington, D.C. and addressed protesters the day before the Capitol riot. I told him that one of his parishioners said his church is a Donald Trump church. We love Donald Trump. We love him.
0: We will be accused a lot of worshiping him or being part of his religion as if he's some sort of cult and work. no Donald Trump passes away tomorrow, God forbid. Does that stop us? Does that slow us
2: down? Uh, Not one bit. We'll be looking for the next guy (laughs) to lead the way. The rise of Christian nationalism is both a symptom and an accelerant of the polarization that afflicts America. But there's more and more pushback. Last year, a long list of mainstream and progressive church leaders signed an open letter that condemned Christian nationalism as a distortion of the faith and idolatrous of the former president. That letter and the proximity of the Patriot Church motivated one congregation just up the highway to take a stand. Church of the Savior is perched on a bluff overlooking Interstate 40 in Knoxville. It's a liberal, inclusive congregation that's part of the United Church of Christ. Senior Pastor John Gill stood at the pulpit one recent Sunday and started his sermon this way.
10: I think many of us believed and hoped that the fever of misinformation about the election and the pandemic and all the related efforts to undermine democracy in our nation would somehow abate. But that's not happening.
2: Indeed, he says, things have gotten worse.
10: It's difficult for me to understand how those who embrace this ideology can call themselves Christian and so
0: thoroughly ignore Jesus' call to nonviolence
2: The youth minister at the Church of the Savior is 58-year-old Reverend Tanya Barnett. She sits with a group of church members who agreed to be interviewed. She says Christian Trumpism has also broken out in the Pentecostal churches where she grew up in Appalachia.
17: My family would go to the Patriot Church if there were one around Big Stone Gap, Virginia. The churches they go to teach the same things.
2: Reverend Barnett is lesbian. She says her sexuality and her progressive church are still rejected by some members of her family in the coal town of Big Stone Gap. She says she understands why people in the Patriot Church are scared.
17: I think it's some kind of fear of difference, fear of me as um, being different, fear of the nation changing so that it's not white, cis, straight, male Christians in charge only and it's moving more
2: toward people who are different. Barnett says, in her opinion, Christian patriots are completely missing the true message of the gospel.
17: Wanting to gain power as Christian nationalists is in direct opposition to what Jesus taught. Compassion, kindness, and care for the people who are most oppressed. That's what Jesus did.
14: I mean, there's nothing new about Christian nationalism. It's been part of this country's history for a long time, decades.
2: Ed Sullivan is a 55-year-old librarian who goes to Church of the Savior. As he observes, the Bible has been thrust into Republican politics long before the Patriot Church. Jerry Falwell's moral majority helped to get conservative Christians involved in politics back in the 1980s.
14: But the Patriot Church movement is certainly the most extreme manifestation of that that we have today. Is there any hope, I
2: ask him, to narrow the chasm that separates these two churches in eastern Tennessee that both profess to follow Jesus?
14: If they view anyone who dissents with their point of view as evil or the enemy or of the devil, I really don't see how there's any kind of common ground that can be found.
2: I put the same question to Reverend Peters of the Patriot Church. He's not optimistic either. He said they don't want a civil war, but coexistence is increasingly difficult in the same United States. John Burnett, NPR News, Knoxville, Tennessee.
9: They come
18: A few years ago, many of the storefronts here on West Adams Boulevard were blighted. But now, right here, just south of the 10 freeway, you can spend more than six bucks on a chocolate croissant at the latest outpost to the San Francisco-based bakery Tartine. And then a quarter mile down the road, there are plans to demolish a laundromat so that luxury apartments can be built, just across the street from a new boutique hotel. This is not the working-and-middle-class black-and-brown neighborhood Yolanda Davis-Overstreet remembers from her childhood.
19: It's really not the same neighborhood in the end. It will not be the neighborhood we knew, that we grew up in. It is not even now.
18: Davis-Overstreet is a community organizer. Most recently, she played a role in bringing crosswalks and bike lanes right here to this stretch of West Adams Boulevard.
19: This is a safety change that has been made for the very people that live um, and have been affected by traffic violence um, and a disenfranchised community that hasn't been improved for decades.
18: But as amenities here familiar to locals disappear and are replaced by services for upper middle class Angelinos, neighborhood improvements, even ones that benefit everyone, are sometimes regarded by old timers with suspicion. Even these crosswalks have some folks wondering, who are these changes really for? KCRW's Megan Jamerson picks it up from here.
20: So, here we are, the famous Adams. Davis Overstreet is standing at an intersection in West Adams, with her arms wide, looking out at fresh white lines and a bright yellow pedestrian sign of one of the new crosswalks.
19: You know, when I first crossed, it did kind of feel surreal that I don't have to run. It's very uplifting, you know, to know that There's a safety barrier here that's been created for us that live in this community.
20: The same two miles that are being rapidly developed today along West Adams were identified by the city five years ago after a shocking number of hit and runs killed black and brown elders. As part of Vision Zero, the city brought the street down to two lanes of traffic to slow down cars and add more crosswalks with the extra space they put in a bike lane. Sounds great if you walk around the neighborhood, right? But that's not what a neighbor recently told longtime local Stephen Meeks.
13: She said, this is just all part of gentrification, and it's not part of us having been here all these years, and why has it taken so long? And people have been saying that about the whole area. They're wondering, well, this is for us. This is not for us.
20: Making West Adams quote-unquote better can sound an awful lot like making it more attractive to outsiders.
6: When we say the words West Adams, what do we mean?
20: Daryl Wash is the CEO of Band of Vices, a Black-owned art gallery on West Adams Boulevard. His family goes back 70 years in the area.
6: What we mean, who grew up here, is we mean the rich legacy and, the, and, and sort of the history and depth of culture that existed and, and sort of the, the Sugar Hill. What they mean is, hey, this is a hot new area to put some money into.
20: Sugar Hill is a nearby middle-class black neighborhood, much of which was bulldozed to make way for the 10th freeway. Today, displacement is happening here again. The latest census data shows the neighborhood's black and Latino populations have dropped about 7% over the last decade, while Asian and white populations have increased.
6: We as a nation can afford to allow people who are not at the top end of the spectrum to stay in their communities, to live with dignity, we choose not to.
20: Davis-Overstreet also has complicated feelings about the changes. Sitting with a small group of neighborhood homeowners, she describes the last time she went to Tartine.
19: It's a very perplexing reality, and it's, it's, it's like a part of me, of me has this rage in it to wonder, where am I now? I was sitting at that bakery, and it was nothing but white people coming to that bakery.
20: I didn't see me. I didn't see my community. Her friend Stephen Meeks is sitting there now, next to Davis Overstreet, nodding his head in agreement. And
19: in fact, I reached out to Stephen. It's like, please, you know, <laughs> could you come down here, you know, and and just sit at the table. It's not that I'm trying to to jam white folks, but I don't think they understand what it feels like, you know, to have a community. That has been disenfranchised and we made it work. And now it's like who we are and what we are don't matter anymore because it's changing. And that's the way it
20: feels at times.
13: We're expendable. Yes. Invisible.
20: Meeks is also a community organizer with the neighborhood's Good Earth Community Garden.
13: The people in this neighborhood, I don't care if you what color y'all, if you live here, you're expendable. And do you want to sell your house?
21: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we get all these... Not lately, people coming to the door, but in the mail, phone calls, texts about
20: selling, selling our house.
21: You know,
20: that's Laura Kleins, another longtime resident and retired LAUSD administrator. Klein says these offers don't feel like a good deal because there's nowhere to go. While rents have shot up in West Adams and are pushing people out, even homeowners who can cash out feel pressured to leave. Kleins lives in her childhood home with her 95-year-old mother. When her mom dies, the plan is to sell and split the profits of the three-bedroom home with her siblings. Her parents bought the house in 1962 for around $25,000. Now it's easily worth over $800,000. Klein's planned to use that money to stay in West Adams, but the reality of that dream is slipping away. To
22: stay in the neighborhood is
20: unaffordable for me. I'm retired, and I think when the time comes, I'm going to
11: have to leave, probably leave Los Angeles because it's just too expensive.
13: And that's the unfortunate thing about people that have been here. Yeah. That should not happen:
20: West Adams' homes are still affordable for some Angelinos, like Jennifer Lee and her partner who moved here three years ago.
17: We were living in West L.A, which is impossible to buy, so yeah, we purchased a house in West Adams.:
20: Lee is a financial planner and says the affordability, the central location, and the neighborhood feel sold her on the area. But Lee says she doesn't feel like a gentrifier.
17: I don't know if I necessarily see myself as trying to change the neighborhood uh, personally, but I mean, I think my understanding is the neighborhood has gotten safer. And I don't know if that's necessarily because of gentrification, but just
20: new people coming into the neighborhoods. Please notice the changes, like the new restaurants and apartment buildings. Those feel like gentrification to her. The other improvements, like the new crosswalks and bike lane, don't. Davis Overstreet, who played a large role in bringing these safety improvements to West Adams, agrees. So those are two different
19: efforts. It was a, a community member effort doing what I did. And then there's the business improvement effort that's come as a result of the gentrification that's happening.
20: Davis-Overstreet is back on West Adams Boulevard. She's walking by another new crosswalk, which she sees as proof of the power of community action.
19: And at least we can stand up and hold our hand up and say, I know that this activity took place as a result of my voice as a, a person that lives in the community.
20: She hopes more of the changes to come in West Adams are the kind that truly benefit everyone. And make it easier and more comfortable for the longtime community to thrive. For KCRW, I'm Megan Jamerson.
2: The game plan to beat the Rams was simple stop star running back Eric Dickerson. A week earlier, Dickerson had torched the Dallas Cowboys with 243 yards on the ground. The vaunted 46 was facing
0: perhaps their toughest test. With the Rams, we had to stop Eric Dickerson.
7: Well,
18: back in the day, 36 years ago, the Rams knocked those large Stetsons off the Cowboys at Anaheim Stadium with the help of these feet.
7: Dickerson picks up where he left off. <laughs> the bye-bye blues. It's over. 248
18: yards for running back Eric Dickerson that day. An NFL playoff rushing record that has yet to be broken. Just one of several records that Dickerson holds, and he's written a book about his experiences in life and on the football field, good and not so good, in a memoir entitled Watch My Smoke, the Eric Dickerson story, and the Hall of Famer joins us right now. Welcome to you, sir.
13: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
18: Go I want to I want to talk about your book because in in your book you talk about more serious subjects obviously going back to being a kid you say in that book growing up outside of Houston there was this recruiting war for you this is how you describe it um even before you were the best high school football player in in the country and it involved who your real father was how did you find out the man who was raising you as his son wasn't really your dad
13: uh, t- my teacher told me, A teacher told me, uh, and she, I was in sixth grade and, uh, she told me, "I'm showing me to stay after class. I told her, okay. So after class, she said, you know, come up, come up to my desk. And I walked up and she said, uh, have you seen your dad? I said, my dad's at home. She said, no boy, your real dad. I said, who are you talking about? She said, your real dad is named Richard Seals. I said, I don't know who that is. She said, go home and ask your mom and dad who you, who you really I said. That's not your mom. Uh, my mother's calling. her name is Viola. Dick My dad was named Carrie. So that's not your dad. Your mom is is Helen. Oh. My mom lived right next door. You know, I was told she was my sister. And so I went home and I asked my, my mother. And dad, I still I can still remember her, her. She was standing, my dad was sitting. And I asked him, and oh my gosh, she was like, What? Who the hell told you that? And I told him it's holiday. And she woo, she went off bad. And then she called my mother, my real mother was just next door. And uh, my mother come running over because I see her name was Helen, and she come running over and she said, "What did she tell you?" And I told her. She said, "That effing bitch." Uh man, back in them days, it was a little different. so I mean, she, she went. She went to get the uh, pistol. She was gonna go kill her. I mean, she was gonna go after go shoot her.
18: Oh man, why did they decide to do that? Do you think?
13: Well, my mother was fifteen when she got pregnant at the time, yeah. so she couldn't she couldn't afford to take care of me. And so my real mother mother <clears throat> lived in Houston, which was my grandmother. My grandfather, so she had let my great aunt, who raised me, and my dad, who raised her, in a sense, not adopt my mother, but raise her, because my grandmother had three boys, and make a long story she, she loved boys. She didn't, she she wasn't fond of girls. I mean, and my, my mother would say, my mother didn't love me like she loves her boys, and that's the truth. Because even my own grandmother wanted to adopt me, but my real mom, Helen, wouldn't allow it. She let my, my she let the lady who raised her and raised me raised raised her adopt me, which was Viola and Carrie.
18: And you knew you had all these people in your life, right, who you knew cared for you anyway,
13: yeah yeah, I mean it was in a sense it was almost like having three moms, it was like having my real grandmother, I had my 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 real mother, and I had my adopted mother, which is Viola, which I'd call Mama. you know, I called my mother Helen, you know, and she was, like I said, we were like brother and sister,
18: football in general. Eric is known for its hits and you don't hold back about your claim that you likely have CTE, right? This is sure. chronic traumatic encephalopathy mm-hmm. from repeated blows to the head in the field. I mean, you're running back, you, you know, all these records and you're on the field taking all these tackles hits to the head. What makes you so sure? And have you ever been tested for it?
13: Yeah, I've been tested, but you know, you, you really can't find out till you die, you know, until you really did. Um, I've had, I've had brain scans done and, and all that kind of stuff. And they told me, you know, I like got my frontal lobe, you know, has had damage. I've had it's told me multiple concussions and I had, you know, concussions, you don't even, they don't even record as concussions back in those days. And, you know, you can just tell, I mean, for what you read about it, what, you know, different talking to different players, you know, you know, the, the memory is not what it used to be. I mean, and that happens with age, but it's a difference and you can tell the difference. I mean, and I know, I mean, I could, I mean, I could tell those things about doing, you know, this, that's not what it used to be. Not me. Uh, so you know, you just kind of, you, you know, and you just you just don't want to sit around and just wait for it to happen. You try to do something proactive to help yourself.
18: Has Has the NFL? Do you think done enough for its players in treating this disorder? I mean, what can it do, or what should it do?
13: You know, for for this, they can only do so much. You know, I, I think the big thing is they hid it for so long. I think that's that's one of the problems I have with the NFL. They they hide stuff. They lie. Uh. And they don't treat the they don't treat the players right. They don't, treat, especially retired players. They it just it's just it's just really messed up how they treat the players. I think that's one of the main problems I have with the NFL. I mean, don't get me wrong. And the NFL gave me a life I, I would never have. Let's get that straight. Also, I mean, I played a game that I loved. I loved everything about that game when I played it. You know, from at the beginning and at the end, of a game, I hated so much because of the the the, the bullshit and uh, and. Uh, the bureaucracy and the politics, you know, and I just didn't like that part of it. And, and guys told me, man, you know, this is a business. and it's a dirty business. And it really is a dirty business, but it's business. But like I said, it gave me a life that I knew I would not have had. I mean, and it gives, it gives a lot of guys a life that they couldn't have because of where we come from, how we raised. So you have to do what you have to do to make it. And I played football because I loved it. But really, one of the reasons I played, it, because of my mother. I love my mother. And, and, and my dad never saw me play. And I would do anything to t- take care of her.
18: The NFL, you, you tell a very common story. The NFL is full of black athletes, some of whom make millions of dollars and whose lives have changed, and others you know, who do their jobs on the field. and um, They live pretty well. They love what they do. But the NFL is still pretty much a league of wealthy white owners, mostly white coaches and you know players who repeatedly get hurt. When were you playing in the league, and how much did all that affect you?
13: Well, first of all, we live in a white world, pretty much, here in the United States. So you just have to accept, you have to play the hand you're dealt. I mean, that's what I, I'm not looking for anything, no sympathy or nothing like that. I, you know what black people want, black players want? We just want fairness. That's it. I mean, you can't ask no more. Just be fair. I talked to a reporter a couple of days ago, and he said something to me that was, he knew. He said, I'm going to say this to you, Eric. He said, you know, I said, no, I'm white. I said, say, yeah, I can tell if I talk to you on the phone. He said, NFL is 70% black. Isn't it? I said, yeah, 70% black or even more. He says, one black coach in the NFL right now. I said, yep. He said, you have no health care, you know, for, for the older players. I said, nope. He said, if the league was 70 80% white, he said, it would be different. He said, I'm white and I'm saying that. I'm like, wow. I said, okay, you said it, I didn't. We know that we we and that's the truth. I mean, they can deny it and say no, there's too many players. BS, man. The money they make, the, it's it wouldn't so it's a, it's a drop in the bucket to take care of the players, really. I mean, you can't take care of everyone because some guys don't need it. I mean, look if if you old enough you on Medicare, Medicare, you don't need health care. Health care is the main thing. I mean, guys need health care, you know. You need you need a pension you can be proud of. The NFL gave me a life that that I'm 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 happy that I have. I thank God for it. But I just feel like it, it, it really is disrespectful, so disrespectful to the players that make the game great. And that's white and black alone. Not, not just black. I'm talking about all the players. Because when you look at basketball, look at baseball, how great their, their pension is and their, their, their health care, it makes you proud to be a baseball player. I mean, it's, it's embarrassing when, when guys that I know play baseball and basketball, and we talk about our contracts and you don't have them, they say, really, what? They're like shocked. They're like, what kind of union do y'all have? Well, our unions are Bunch of crap. I mean, if you can go back to Gene Upshaw, terrible. I mean, this guy Demar Smith, he's laughable. He's a joke. I mean, he's all about Demar Smith. He doesn't care about the players. He's a lawyer. He doesn't know what it's like to. He doesn't know what it's like to play in the cold weather. He doesn't like to play in a, 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 play, a play hurt, play with a broke hand. You know, can't sleep at night. He doesn't know what that's like. He has no clue. He has no clue what it's like to even put a freaking football uniform on and get out there and take the hits. And that's what we. That's what we're stuck with. We're stuck with guys like him. You know, some of the players don't go out and vote. You know. For different for different reasons you know young don't understand you know and probably and it says i look at myself i was one of those guys in the beginning and in, in the early years and i played but at the end i got it well,
18: the book is called watch my smoke the eric dickerson story which you wrote alongside greg hamlin give him some credit there too former rams hall of fame running back eric dickerson
3: the turner diaries it sold over half a million copies who do you think is buying it Eric Rudolph, the Olympic bomber, Way Page, who shut up the Sikh temple, Larry Ford developing typhoid and cholera, William Krar
23: with the cyanide bomb, anthrax, ricin, botulism, C4, IEDs.
3: I could go on like this for hours, and all of them are white supremacists.
7: Now let's pose a question that's closer to home. How effectively is the United States fighting domestic extremism? President Biden says it's a big priority. Part of his arsenal is the Center for Prevention Programs and Partnerships, known as CP3. Some outside observers are asking if that center is keeping up with an evolving threat. NPR's Zedet Youssef covers domestic extremism.
22: Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas calls CP3 a response to the most pressing threat in the United States right now, domestic violent extremism. He says it's a sea change for his department, a new way to confront a threat that is constantly changing.
10: We are deeply concerned about false narratives, ideologies of hate that are fueled by conversations and messages on online platforms and other social media.
22: Majorca says CP3 takes a new approach to preventing homegrown violent extremism, one that relies on behavioral indicators to spot when someone's on a path toward violence and that leans on local communities to respond. Regional offices will coordinate with on the ground organizations to understand local dynamics, strengthen community resources, and formulate interventions. Gone are the days of prevention efforts orchestrated from D.C. Mayorkas says the key here is that it's people helping people they know.
10: It is the family member, the friend, the school teacher, the neighbor, the clergy leader who can see someone descending into a realm of antisocial behavior, and hopefully intervene to help.
22: If you go to dhs.gov slash it just redirects you to the CP3 page. When Fatima Ahmed talks about CP3, she reverts to the acronym of an Obama-era program called CVE for Countering Violent Extremism. She says a lot of what she's hearing about CP3 sounds like echoes from the past. Like, it's the exact same website and everything. They just keep changing the name. Ahmed leads the Muslim Justice League, a nonprofit in Boston, which was one of the cities where CVE was piloted several years ago. At the time, the focus was heavily on Muslims and concern over homegrown terrorists joining groups like ISIS. But even the Department of Homeland Security acknowledges the program had what it calls unintended consequences – Civil rights advocates said it resulted in religious profiling and unwarranted surveillance of Muslim communities. In fact, when he was on the campaign trail, Joe Biden promised to shut the program down. Ahmed says the administration is right to identify violent white supremacy and extremist militias as the greatest domestic security threat today. But she still thinks the approach is wrong.
20: It's promoting this idea that you can spot someone in your community who is supposedly, you know, going to become a "quote unquote extremist." But what does that even mean to be extreme in this country, right? Like it's not actually extreme to be racist here, right? Like that's pretty
22: normal. DHS officials say they're not in the business of policing beliefs. Instead, they're working with community partners who can identify specific behavioral signs that someone may be on a path toward violence, and when they do, to direct them to resources that would, quote, call them back in. That is, get them help to address their grievances, like mental health support, rather than put them in the hands of law enforcement. But there's disagreement over whether DHS is the right agency to do this.
14: The Department of Homeland Security is now investigating this incident where Border Patrol agents on horseback are seen intimidating Haitian migrants at the southern border.
22: Ahmed says DHS has recently contributed to the hardening of American attitudes toward immigrants and people of color. Mary McCord of Georgetown University agrees that past DHS policies may complicate its efforts. She says in recent years, the department has been responsible for some of the most cruel and inhumane treatment of people in the United States. You know, caging of children and separating children from their parents at the southwest border, that was DHS. Well, that same
23: agency is basically also responsible for saying, trust us to protect you
22: in the homeland. McCord says some communities simply won't trust DHS when it says it wants to partner with them to address violent white extremism. Cynthia Miller Idris of American University says she's encouraged to see language like public health and whole of society in descriptions of how CP3 is thinking about violence prevention now. But she says a true approach along those lines would be much bigger and radically different. When other countries do this, they have nine, 12 or more agencies involved in setting up their national strategies to counter domestic violent extremism. Here, Miller-Idris says that would include the Departments of Education, Health and Human Services, and Labor. But instead, the United States still largely frames extremism as a national security challenge at DHS. And the stakes couldn't be any higher, she says. In the wake of the January 6th attack on the Capitol last year, it's clear that lies, misinformation, and hate aren't just drivers of targeted violence or terrorist attacks— they're also contributing to the corrosion of America's democracy itself. Idris Miller says throwing $20 million in grants to local partner organizations in certain selected communities, as CP3 did last year, isn't nearly enough to offset that. Germany just made a $1 billion investment in it's a country that's a quarter of our size.
20: Um, New Zealand is standing up an entire new agency and a whole national center on prevention in the wake of Christchurch. I mean, they're doing massive
22: investments. And we have done those levels of investments before when we face national security crises. Crises such as the terrorist attacks on 9-11, which prompted, about a year later, the creation of a whole new federal agency, the Department of Homeland Security. Odette Youssef, NPR News. Of
0: course... Children who have nut allergies need to be protected. Of course. We have to segregate their food from nuts, have their medication available at all times, and anybody who manufactures or serves food needs to be aware of deadly nut allergies. Of course.
24: But maybe, maybe if touching a nut kills you, you're supposed to die.
0: all happened on Saturday afternoon, Brent. Uh, Around one o'clock in the afternoon, we spoke to the woman who had that racial slur thrown her way by this gentleman. In fact, it was such an egregious incident, Merrill Lynch has already fired this 48-year-old. About a half an hour after picking up a smoothie for his son at Robex in Fairfield Saturday, James Ionazzo dialed 911.
1: Uh, My son's had an allergic reaction. We gave him the EpiPen.
0: Ionazzo's son has a peanut allergy and had to be rushed to the hospital. So he was hot when he went back to Robex. I want
2: to speak to the person who made this drink. Is
0: that you? And when the employees said they didn't know who made the drink and refused to give him the number for a person to contact. I'm calling
22: the police. I'm calling the police. Um, the police come
0: to Robex Fairfield. We have a customer who's out of control. And the 48-year-old began trading verbal shots with 18-year-old Gianna Miranda. Shut
8: up. You
22: shut up. You're not going to tell me to shut up. The f- who are you? Who are you? Immigrant loser.
0: What? hard to hear, but he called her an immigrant loser.
22: It was more just like a stand my my own ground because he was arguing with me. And no matter how old you are, even though you are older than me, like I'm not going to let somebody disrespect me.
0: Ionazo hit with multiple charges, including intimidation based on bigotry or bias. And after the slur, the employees got scared
22: because he did try to go to the back and open the door and like me and my other two co-workers were holding the door, you know, threatening us.
0: Ionazo saying he deeply regrets his actions and that it's completely out of character and that he will deliver an in-person apology.
22: I just hope that he gets everything he deserves for doing this.
0: Robex issuing a statement reading in part we take very seriously order accuracy for guests who have allergy issues, and we will be investigating concerns surrounding disorder in question. Gianna Miranda admits that the employees made a mistake in putting peanut butter in the smoothie, but she contends that He never told her, being Mr. Ionazzo, never told any of the crew that day about the food allergy. Ionazzo denies that and said, yes, he did. In fact, his attorney says on the receipt, it says no peanut butter. That was typed in at the cash register. We're live here in Fairfield. Tony Terzi, Fox 61 News. Uh, I don't want us to lose sight that things are getting better. Each successive generation uh, seems to be making progress in changing attitudes when it comes to race. It doesn't mean we're in a post racial society. It doesn't mean that racism is eliminated. But you know, when I talk to Malia and Sasha, uh, and I listen to their friends and I see them interact, uh, they're better than we are, they're better than we were on these issues. And that's true in every community uh, that I've visited all
12: across the country. Damn
22: you, Obama.
12: Well, that hateful rant was spewed during last Friday's basketball game at Laguna Hills High School. And KCAL Orange County reporter Michelle
25: Geely tells us this was not an isolated incident. The fan who yelled disturbing racist words at a black Portola high school player during last Friday's basketball game has been identified as a student from Laguna Hills High, which hosted the Irvine school. the unidentified teen yelled, where is his slave owner? Chain him up, chain him up, as player Makai Brown shot free throws. Additionally, when Brown's father spoke up about the coach's demeanor toward his son, he was kicked out of the gym.
24: I actually feel sorry for the kid and his parents because I fully expect that
26: they will punish and reprimand him. But I don't know if that's gonna change the culture that we experienced at Laguna Hills High School.
25: Saddleback Valley Unified School District has condemned the hateful language, saying the Laguna Hills High student is being disciplined and counseled. Confidential personnel actions have also taken place, according to officials. The Portola High School online news publication is covering the hate incident. It's included quotes from the player and a biracial cheerleader who also said she was subjected to hate speech by the Laguna Hills student section during the game.
4: They were just calling me like the N-word and like
25: coming after like my weight and stuff. So it was just like really disrespectful. A second cheerleader says the same group called her an anti-Asian slur.
20: It makes me feel angry more than anything, but it's also really disappointing. Portola High's principal quoted a
25: Saddleback District quote that no amount of apology will make up for what has happened. In his words, this was a despicable and shameful act of hate and ignorance. I want to use this, he says, as an opportunity and call to action for our community. When these behaviors go unchecked and people do not stand up against them, they continue. In Irvine, Michelle Geely, KCAL 9 News.
22: Why do you keep calling this the Chinese virus? There are reports of dozens of incidents of bias against Chinese Americans in this country. Your own aide, Secretary Azar, who says he does not use this term. He says ethnicity does not cause the virus. Why do you keep using this? Because it of comes say from it's China. Racist.
26: It's not racist at all, no, not at all. It comes from China.
1: The U.S. Supreme Court will once again take on the consideration of race and college admissions, including a case accusing Harvard of discriminating against Asian-American applicants. Kirk Carapesa from GBH's higher ed desk has been following the case from the start, and he's with us now. Hi, Kirk. Hey, Arun. So, uh, doing this for a long time now, take us back to the beginning of, of this case.
6: I know this case was orchestrated and introduced by Edward Bloom. He's a longtime critic of race conscious admissions and hiring. And we have to go all the way back to 2015. Bloom is the head of a group called Students for Fair Admissions. And at the time, seven years ago, it alleged bias against Harvard for holding Asian American applicants to hire academic And personal standards.
1: And uh, since he started, uh, he's also been able to get some Asians to actually sign on to the suit along with him, right?
6: That's right. You know, for a while, we couldn't talk to these these people for years. I've been asking Edward Bloom and Students for Fair Admissions to introduce us to these Asian American applicants. Over the summer, finally, they introduced me to Harrison Chen, who claims that admissions officers at Harvard denied him admission because of his race. I spoke with him via Zoom and I asked him straight up whether he has any concrete evidence of that.
18: I have evidence that they're not willing to look at us as individuals.
6: That's a serious charge. So when Harvard looked at your application, you don't think they looked at you as an individual?
18: Yeah, they just lumped me into um, the
6: Asian category and the data quite clearly shows that. Since that interview, Chen, who's the son of Chinese immigrants, has emerged as a central figure in this case just yesterday. Minutes after the Supreme Court decided it would once again take up race in admissions, Students for Fair Admissions released a campaign-style video that features him. The video simply tells you Chen graduated at the top of his class and he applied to Harvard. It does not tell you that Harvard could fill its class over 100 times with applicants who have perfect test scores and grades just like him. And it does not tell you that Chen is now a senior at Vanderbilt University, where he told me over the summer he's very happy and healthy. And
1: well leaving aside the particulars of, of of Chen, overall, how has Harvard been defending itself?
6: Yeah, Harvard has repeatedly pointed out that its holistic approach to evaluating applicants has in the past won praise from the Supreme Court as a national model. Harvard says it considers race as just one factor among many other factors when it decides which students to admit. Harvard also says Asian Americans account for 24% of its latest class and just 6% of high school graduates. The university's lawyers and supporters of race-conscious admissions have also pointed out that during the three-week trial in Boston back in 2018, no former applicants took the stand to say Harvard rejected them because of their race. Instead, they say the prosecution relied on, quote dry data and bloodless statistics.
1: Up to this point, judges have have gone along with, with, with Harvard's argument in this, right? They, they've so far rejected the argument brought by the plaintiffs.
6: Yeah, that's right. U.S. District Court Judge Allison Burroughs here in Boston and the First Circuit Court of Appeals in Boston both ruled that Harvard does not discriminate against Asian Americans.
1: Right. And now with the Supreme Court set to weigh in, lay out what's at stake here?
6: Well, for selective private and public colleges, a lot is at stake, Arun, with a more conservative makeup The nine justices will review the lower court's decision finding Harvard's admissions practices to be legal and another upholding the University of North Carolina's practices. Harvard President Larry Bacow says that decision to review these cases will put at risk 40 years of legal precedent granting colleges the right to create diverse campus communities. Some long-term legal observers think the Supreme Court will have to perform A bit of intellectual dishonesty here to kind of strike down the consideration of race. In employment discrimination cases, for example, the court has ruled statistics are not enough. You have to prove intent to discriminate. Northeastern University law professor Daniel Medwed says the court's review may not mean colleges must stop considering race, since that would actually be tough to enforce
24: but it certainly is a bad sign for the future of that policy and given the current political landscape of the court it would seem as though opponents of race conscious admissions might have the upper hand medwed points out the court
22: is
6: much more conservative than it was 40 years ago and it's kind of hard to see the three new trump appointees and justices clarence thomas and samuel alito upholding the status quo The only real question now is Chief Justice Roberts.
1: Kirk, it's been uh, great to have you to catch up on on all this and looking forward to talking with you more as as it unfolds. Thank you. Thank you, Arun. That's Kirk Carapesa from GBH's higher ed desk. Medical apartheid, the dark history of medical experimentation on black Americans from colonial times to the present.
24: More than nine out of 10 cases of cervical cancer are preventable, according to the CDC. That's because there's a highly effective vaccine for both girls and boys that stops HPV, the virus that causes cervical cancer. And even beyond prevention, treatment is highly effective if caught early. But as you go away from Georgia's urban core areas, the incidence of cervical cancer grows. And for black women, especially in Georgia's rural counties, that cancer claims lives disproportionately. Anarik Daniel is with Human Rights Watch, and Dr. Kay Eady is with the Southern Rural Black Women's Initiative. The organization's just co-published a study from their research of 148 women of color from rural Georgia. And when we spoke earlier today, I started by asking Anarik Daniel about the
21: findings. And when you think about cervical cancer, you know, it's highly preventable, it's highly treatable. Um, But unfortunately, around 4,200 women do die from it each year in the U.S., and Black women die at disproportionately high rates. It's clear whose health and whose rights our government is invested in and is actually protecting. Um, And it really reveals a pattern of exclusion from the information from the services that all women really need to stay healthy and to stay safe. And then I'll turn it over to Dr. Evie, who's actually one of the community-based researchers. Thank you, Annarie. I was
11: one of the researchers that spoke with not all 148, but many of the women from Baker County. And I think it was really key for me in Baker County because I knew the community, I, I knew the women there, I knew the people. And so it was easy for me to navigate from one end of the county to the other. And people trusted me. They they knew me, they knew my family. So they felt comfortable sharing their stories and talking to me, knowing that that information would be held confidential and actually held with some honesty and treated with integrity.
24: And did they surprise you, the stories
11: that you heard? Actually, I was very surprised, you know, because I think we all have a tendency to live in our own little bubble. And I've always had insurance and had no problems with transportation or any of the barriers that they talked about. Uh, Costs, no health insurance, no transportation. I was just taken aback. I was really shocked to think that in... 2021 at that time, that they were still facing those types of barriers was just really astounding to me.
24: I want to talk about cervical cancer because you mentioned that it is treatable and preventable. As I understand, the HPV vaccine is the main preventive measure. Is that hard to administer? Is it hard to get that to the people that you all are are, uh, talking about?
11: It's not hard to get. It is available. And it can be obtained through their physicians or at the local clinics, but many of them have not even heard of the vaccine.
21: And just to build on top of that, I mean, again, there's such a lack of information around the HPV vaccine. And there's also a lot of stigma around it. It is tied to um, HPV, which is a sexually transmitted infection. You know, parents don't really understand that it's a cancer prevention tool. They don't know that it can be given to girls and boys. And also they might feel like it's not something I want to give to my child because it might signal that they can go have sex. We need to reframe how we look at the HPV vaccine so it is seen and accepted as a cancer prevention tool. Um, So there's a, a lot of work that needs to happen around education and outreach on the vaccine.
24: I understand Georgia is making progress, but clearly not enough. What what needs to be done at the state level to make the situation better?
11: We need the legislators to understand that in rural communities, there needs to be more attention to health care. And there's a real need for Medicaid expansion. It seems that the further away that you live from metropolitan centers, the rate of cervical cancer increases.
21: And building on top of that, I would say access to information. Um, Young people in schools need to be learning about their sexual and reproductive health. They need to know where they can go for free resources. They need to be learning about their bodies, the HPV vaccine, ways to stay healthy and safe. Parents need access to information on the HPV vaccine. Right now, Georgia doesn't have any policies in place that really ensure parents receive this information. They need to address these barriers that are really preventing women Black women in rural communities from being able to access the reproductive health care, the services, the information that they need.
24: Anarik Daniel and Dr. Kay Edie of Human Rights Watch, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. I appreciate it.
21: Thank you, Jim. Thank you. This is the city of Chicago. Chicago.
7: Chicago. Sean Tyler and his brother, Reginald Henderson, have been out of prison for three years now but still have a lot of catching up to do both spent the better part of their lives in prison, serving about a quarter of a century for a crime they had nothing to do with. They say they were tortured into confessions for murder by officers trained by former police commander John Burge. For somebody to walk in at 17, I left out the back
12: door on a stretcher. Back of the ambulance, straight to the emergency room.
7: Tyler says police retaliated against him because he testified about police corruption in an earlier case. Henderson says police also tortured him in an effort to get his brother. I sat in prison for 26 years and nine months for
27: for the purpose of them trying to find my brother. There's a lot of things you can complain about, but the reality is is that, uh, I mean, what can you do about it? You know what I mean? You just got to keep moving.
9: Society assists in this conspiracy to extort them
7: and he keeps moving. Henderson earned a college degree behind bars and now performs his spoken word poetry at open mic nights. Sean wrote several books he hopes to publish while behind bars, and he also designed a clothing line. Their lawyer is also working on getting them a certificate of innocence, which would expunge their records though it will never give them back the years they've lost.
14: I don't know how to characterize it. Just a a tragedy for everyone. The victim,
6: Sean, his brother, everyone.
7: The men say every day since they've been released is difficult. While they dreamed for years about their freedom, the transition to life on the outside has not been easy. I struggle every day. The city has paid out well over $100 million to exonerated former prisoners who were tortured into confessions by John Burge and his associates. Tyler and Henderson say they're not concerned about that. They're focused on making the most of the time they have left on this earth.
28: The man, the man, not, the man not, race, race, class, class genre, 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 and the dilemmas, dilemmas of black manhood.
25: Proper arrest or mistaken identity. Somehow this black man wound up in jail for six days on a warrant met for this white man nearly twice his age. And thanks for staying with us tonight, I'm Trisha
23: Keen.
2: And I'm Dave Carvassia. Shane Lee Brown's first interview is with 13 Chief Investigator Darcy Spears and she finds out this is not an isolated case.
23: The marquee right outside Metro headquarters says partners with the community, but partners listen to one another. And according to Shane Brown, that very basic failure is what set everything in this case in motion. During his arrest and the week he spent behind bars, Shane Lee Brown just wanted someone to hear him.
29: Begging and pleading with everyone to just listen to me that I'm not this guy that you think I am.
23: When Shane was pulled over by Henderson Police in January 2020, he figured it was an ordinary traffic stop. He knew he had an issue with his driver's license.
29: Um, I just didn't have my physical license, only had the paper license that you get issued because I lost my wallet.
23: And expired registration, resulting in a misdemeanor traffic warrant.
29: I told the officers I did have a court date to get everything settled. Um, It was actually the, the very next day. I had took time off work to go get everything, Settled, I had proof of it as well.
23: But when officers ran his name through their database.
29: They come back and told me I'm a felon. And uh, there's no way I'm a felon.
23: As you can see, Shane Lee Brown is black. He's also 25 years old. Shane Neal Brown is 50 years old, a convicted felon, and he's white. But according to a federal lawsuit alleging mistaken identity, that didn't stop police from arresting the younger Brown and keeping him in jail for nearly a week.
29: I was in disbelief. I didn't it felt like euphoric like there's no way that they're they're taking me to jail for a felony charge when I'm not a felon.
23: He was never charged with any crime, despite the initial arrest on a misdemeanor traffic warrant. He first sat in Henderson Jail, then the Clark County Detention Center until a judge ordered him freed. How do you feel you were treated by police?
29: Not fair. It, I feel like it's, it's their duty to know who the person is that they're detaining pretty much, and it, it wasn't me.
12: It's really uh, egregious is that when Shane got out, He Googled this individual on a regular Google search and was able to determine that this gentleman was white, with a beard, blue eyes, and was in his 40s.
23: When you saw that guy, tell me what your reaction was.
29: Frustration, anger, disappointment. It was just overflow of emotions.
23: The city of Henderson says the initial arrest on the traffic charges was legal and proper. Attorney Brent Bryson says even if it was, keeping him in jail was not.
12: I don't know whether the mistake was intentional. I don't know whether it was, you know, just negligent. I don't know if race played a factor. All those things are possible. At this point, we don't know. What we do know is we're looking for someone to be held accountable.
23: Bryson also points out arrests based on mistaken identity happen more often than you think. In April 2020, Kiera Green filed this federal lawsuit against Metro and individual officers, claiming she was wrongfully arrested for the murder of a 73-year-old man whose body was found wrapped in plastic in a closet months after his death. In this case, at least both women were similar in age. But for Brown?
12: I don't know how you confuse a young African American man with a uh, middle aged white man uh, when the descriptions are so readily available to you. Uh, I mean, it's inexcusable. Shane says his experience
23: with police sends an unsettling message to the community. We reached out to Metro for response to the allegations in the lawsuit, but they told us it's their policy not to comment on pending litigation. Darcy Spears, 13, investigates.
28: Whew. Mm, wounded, wounded context of white supremacy gusty renegade in for another broadcast hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy today's date saturday january 29 2022 so i have been told our weekly compensatory call in dial in if you have thoughts, observations, suggestions the number 720 716 7300 the code five six four pound press star 61 if you would like to participate this time last week whatever reason I was not being heard thankfully as I said Uh, I saw my soundbar moving. Everything was plugged in. Uh, I was being recorded, the archive pristine, but the folks who were on the phone line last week were not hearing me. So I was so bummed. I was so uh, looking forward to discussing the reports as I am every week. But last week we had a specific segment that talked about the importance of adequate rest. Uh, and how so many people don't get enough rest period and then non-white people specifically and how that's another component of white supremacy racism I was so eager to talk about that Uh, I've had sleep problems forever and then because the audio was messed up people didn't hear me and so I think it was like 40 minutes before I recognized some people you know, hung up and all the rest like eh you know Gus is acting crazy Uh, but so many people emailed one, they started, man, the audio is crazy. Hope you get that figured out. Then, when you do get it figured out, man, I've had sleep problems. There was so many people who said that for the same thing I said for a variety of different reasons and how uh, it's. they even have found it challenging, as has Gus T in terms of, okay, I'm going to change some things in my schedule. Sometimes the system of white supremacy racism doesn't allow for that. Work schedules and all kinds of things. If you're an attempted parent, I am not. That also can make it very difficult to be on a regular schedule to get the amount of rest that you need. But so many folks and they were saying, you know, trying to do a schedule and even that can be difficult and just. It's challenging. It is so worthy of the investment from my wish list just from just before the flood. So just before 2017, I got amazing uh, sheets. Uh, I got amazing bamboo uh, pillow just really invested in quality bedding because I'd never really thought about that. I've never been a bed, bath and beyond patron, you Mm -hmm. know. But having really nice bedding, you don't have to spend, you know, a month's paycheck or anything on it. But I mean, just having really comfortable bedding, even comfy pajamas to really enjoy and do it up when it's bedtime. You spend so much of your existence time on this planet asleep, hopefully (sighs) make it quality. But so important for adequate health. In fact, I emailed, I said, the same way we've heard reports where they said man if they're going to talk about being healthy making sure your immune system is functioning efficiently correctly eating properly should be talked about a lot more and with children and sleeping correctly two things that are critical to having proper health that are regularly abused and I'd say just like we're in an obesogenic environment we're in an environment that does not really encourage quality rest it's all about stay up all night and party all night and binge watch television all day and all night and energy drinks and caffeine and starbucks (laughs) i'm in the starbucks capital of the world so i know about some coffee drinking to compensate for all of that all the drugs and chemicals but that maybe we could talk about it this week but i thought that report was so important last week was so bummed about not being able to chat it up uh, live time last week. Anywho, uh, this week uh, I get to some of the reports. I had so many notes this week. Like, man, uh, see if I can share, and then we'll get to folks on the line. Uh, let's see. The first segment they talked about Prince Andrew, and he's lost all his titles, and he's just a citizen facing these charges of child rape, sexual abuse of a minor. Uh, and they said that he is exercising his male power. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. Male power like Freddie Gray. Male power like Eric Garner. Male power like Falando Castillo. White male power. Got it. That's what he's been flexing and not having to deal with these charges. Same type of white male power that. Jeffrey Epstein exercised and white woman power that Galeen Maxwell exercised to avoid conviction prosecution for years and years and years. <clears throat> uh, let's see next. We there was more I had from that report, but just yeah. uh, so we should be here on Saturday, excuse me, Monday. Monday. Uh, We should have a white man on the program. John Toodle, I think is his name. We'll be sure by Monday. Maybe I'll be able to hear him doing an interview. But this white man is an attorney and he published a report detailing how you can fill out reports to get accurate information about police misconduct disciplinary records and that sort of thing uh he was able to do this uh being a white man skilled with words uh we will have him on the program monday i always enjoy talking to white people who are skilled with words but that'll be monday normal time 8 p.m eastern 5 p.m pacific and we were just in the book club i believe we have a brand new worst book ever i thought dr layla africa the late I thought Nutricide was going to have that title like forever, ever, like as sloppy and ridiculous and unedited and dismal. And don't even get me started about that foolishness. Um, I thought that book was going to be number one forever, but Alice Seabold has done the impossible. And I went back. Mr. Neely Fuller Jr., he talks about having correct intentions. I think Dr. Africa. Despite everything I said, I do think he had correct intentions, even though he does name call Whitney Houston in that book either. It's not correct intentions behind name calling, but I think he had at least halfway correct intentions with the book. Alice Sebold in no way, shape, form had correct intentions. In my view, the only logical conclusion a reader would come to, she intended to practice white supremacy racism and specifically black misandry lynching negro power raping negro candy man that's what she. that was her only objective there's nothing else there at all that's all it's about if you remove that then you got no book no movie no nothing even the the pseudonym gregory Madison i said what's the anagram What do you got? Sodomy. Nigger. Anyway. uh, She has done the impossible. That is the new. And it's not even quality writing. It's trash. It's not worth anything if it's not worth white supremacy racism. Uh, So new number one book. Worst of all time. Alice Sebold's Lucky. However worst book does not necessarily mean that it was not informative like wow I thought about it every day uh, as we have been reading it Uh, while we were in the midst of the book club Z's mom she said this book reminds me of Aya Gruber and her research on how white feminism uh, is how would we say uh, intensifies a lot of the incarceration of lot of non-white people black males and she said wow this book reminds me of that because it's so much in the banner of white feminism and we're victims and nobody cares about women that's exactly what she said in the forward white nobody cares about us white virgins nobody cares about us super freaks thank you so much Rick James like wow if it was not for Rick James might have missed a whole lot of things in reading that book snorting it all uh, new book on the book club I've not made up my mind I will have done so by Tuesday so just check Facebook Twitter online maybe even by Monday I will have come to a decision we'll have a new book uh, I guess I could be swayed so if you have a reasonable something really really super constructive that we've not read in the decade this would be the time to suggest uh, let's see next um They had the segment on white supremacy, racism in Brazil, which reminded me, like, oh man, we should see if we can get uh, our guest from Brazil, journalist down there. He's a black male, uh, was born in Michigan, I believe. He's been on the program a number of times. See if we can get him back on the program. Uh, they were talking about these recent incidents. Uh, these are black people who were not born in Brazil, but they were treated like negros. Duh, in Brazil. And one of them, he talked about uh, counter violence, striking this German white man born in Germany uh, who was approaching rapidly probably coming to attack him to out save the white what did I just say black misandry lucky uh, feminism supporting mass incarceration right on cue and all over the world and so he pow knocked him out with one punch like they should make a movie about that I love it spirit of Jack Johnson was with me now, you heard even in Brazil, I'm not surprised they said, hey, we recommend that she be charged. They were harassing, and we also recommend that he be charged. Not going to tolerate no coloreds around here popping white men in the face. Let that be a rest lesson to the rest of you, coloreds. Global system, nowhere to run, metaphor, no escape, no sanctuary. Throughout the known universe, I posted today online. They had a former white executive for NASA uh, who was sentenced, convicted for murdering an unarmed black male. He shot him on camera. I think they were neighbors. Allegedly, they've been having some sort of conflict for a while, and he just executed him summarily on camera. As I said, I said that right there. Known universe. That this fella they didn't just say he worked at NASA like a custodian he cleaned the toilets or whatever they said he was an executive might help explain why we have a difficult problem difficult time getting Negroes employed down at NASA in Alabama and places like that right? Houston and such getting Negroes employed then they'll come out with some tacky movie Kevin Costner in it right Hmm. Let's see. Uh, In that report, I thought it was interesting. They spoke with the one victim who was there for the event in Brazil. He talking about how much fun it was there, which I'm sure it is. And he said the the event was the Sly Fox event. Hmm. Oh, VGQ uh, and then he said he had enough experience with driving while black and walking while black and breathing while black and all the this man it is all of that driving under a system of white supremacy Uh, I've always consistently that's where the focus should be not on me being classified as black but on individuals classified as white practicing white supremacy racism worldwide Uh, let's see the segment, they talked about the hockey player, black hockey player, uh, Mr. Suban, who was, uh, I guess, the, the white fella for the Jacksonville, Jacksonville team was making uh, monkey chants uh, towards him. And then they suspended him and they were talking about, you know, this has been a long time problem. And the white journalist uh, Canadian news outlet, uh, he asked the black male victim, he said, you know, what what would you say? To young non white children getting involved in hockey, pause. What should we say to racist child, young white children making monkey chants, throwing bananas, nigg-nog, all the rest? What do we say to them to stop their behavior? I don't even hear people say that. It's just, what do we say to the little black boys? Watch out for these racist children. That's what it should be. They are are not ignorant don't be surprised they do any name calling or anything else don't be surprised maybe follow my man's lead in brazil if they come at you aggressively look for the one punch ko Carpal might want might not let you on television if you say that advocate counter-violence uh, let's see. They said from Jacksonville, North Florida, once again, they said that in their statement. We advocate one love. I, I didn't know whether to do a rewind or just a pause and like WTH, like, excuse me, are you is this like you're quoting Bob Marley? Like what? What does that even mean? One love? Am I late? Maybe I'm just late. That that's, I'm, If I need the remedial class, just let me know. I know it can't be this in this incident happened and now we break. We are irie. <laughs> we are there with you. Our sister in Louisiana like oh yeah Bob Marley all the way one love. That's even tackier than the I'd rather have the monkey sounds like never mind. We forget the suspension. Let's just stick with the bananas and monkey chance so we know what we're dealing with. Uh, let's see. they in talking about the now they called it Christian nationalism it would be really different if that was titled religion of white supremacy and their support of Trump they're upset about immigrants preserving a way of life we don't have a country of mosques it's Christian churches Religion of white supremacy, it would be totally different within that segment. They said, white woman, she said that this is about a fear of difference, not having a country of white, cis, straight males. That's not the issue at all, the issue is white genetic annihilation. That's why we can't say racism and we got to do all this pussyfooting to be real discreet, indirect about what the issue is. That even gets to she's saying she's into some kind of anti-sex or whatever. That means you're not producing white babies unless you already produced them, whichever, which maybe you did. Maybe you didn't. All the abortion, all that connected white genetic annihilation, not producing enough new individuals we got to have racist child teach them how to make these monkey chants teach them how you got to be the white nasa executive dominate and maybe execute some Negras. they got the next one patriot church that's what they call it. church of white supremacy racism Uh, and they even had some racial narrowing in that when they didn't say the religion of white supremacy and the bible has been used throughout the history of white supremacy they said throughout the history of Republican politics now now wait a minute I thought when it was good old pitchfork Ben Tillman who was a God fearing white man he was in the Democratic Party they were against the Negro and they did some preaching about Jesus so is it the Republican Party has a history of white nationalism, racism, white supremacy the religion of or is it all of these different parties where you have individuals classified as white they bring with them the religion of white supremacy racial narrative. it's just the republicans the old right wingers you know let's see they can't when they got to the whole segment uh west adam street in los angeles california and they're talking about uh gentrification racial dislocation Uh, And some of the signs being getting a crosswalk, safer neighborhood, all of this uh, traffic violence that disproportionately impacts black people. We talked about that this past summer right of way, who is most likely to be killed. Once again, the Eric Garner's of the known universe, most likely to die in those traffic fatalities involving a pedestrian and a vehicle. Uh, But they said in this segment of uh, West Adams, uh, they said. Vision Zero. That's what they're calling it. And they said that uh, I didn't understand it. She said, I don't. She, it was a, they were talking to a victim, non-white female. She said, I don't want to jam white folks sound like that's what she said. But white folks don't understand. That we who have been disenfranchised, I loathe that term disenfranchised. Like it's all right for me to say disenfranchised. And, and one reason out of many that I despise that word. Do you hear people say Franchised, enfranchised any derivative do you hear people say that the enfranchised people live. I don't even hear that at all it's just disenfranchised I don't know what that means at all if you mean victimized mistreated victims of racism now <laughs> being precise about things not niggardly <laughs> disenfranchised and minority but anyway so we the disenfranchised they don't know how we've been stepped on mistreated looked over and we've built up in spite of and they come in and they don't know and they don't care we're not valued we don't matter we're expendable invisible all of the victims guaranteed qualified I understand but that's when you don't understand white supremacy racism you can be booted at any time and it doesn't even matter you don't have to be broke or anything like just you can be booted at any time that's what the system means you don't matter that's why I said that's another one just tell the truth you don't matter your life doesn't matter your views don't matter none of that be out of here in the next 30 seconds any of you negros that's getting a more accurate understanding of this system i love it you can try they were talking to some of the folks there. victims lived here for they said 70 years can't afford to stay here they got so many ways of pricing you out we got property taxes we got drugs crime maybe we don't put that bike lane in let your five-year-old get hit by a car and you'll move out voluntarily lots of different ways of getting you to move You don't understand racism, white supremacy, and then it still comes back to that white people are ignorant. They're not ignorant. They've been doing this for centuries. This ain't same thing here, Brazil, South Africa, all over the known universe. They have gotten better and better at doing this. Not understanding Tulsa, Oklahoma is another component of that, too. Rosewood, same thing. You can pick any number of hundreds of times that that has happened. Uh, Let's see. Next. And they talk to a white person who got the feigned ignorance. Like, I don't know. It's, you know, I don't think I'm a part of the gentrification. Gentrification. I can't even say the word, you know. I don't don't think I'm a part of that. You know, I guess it's, I guess it's uh, 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 safe. I guess nobody does a better job of being selectively stupid than individuals classified as white they talked to Eric Dickerson right in LA stay in the same geographic location Uh, Mr. Dickerson I pointed this out just this month right so you if you've just been listening to the cows for 30 days I just said they were talking to a black mortician and he was admonishing just black people, not black and brown people, not people of color, just black people and saying you haven't stepped foot in a church in your damn life. And the journalist would <laughs> you right, you right, yeah, yeah. And I said, hey, they generally do not allow cursing on the radio, not on public radio, not even on the cows. Really, we generally let's uh, sue Africa's here, but we generally do not have a lot of profanity uh, on public radio. That was uh, KCRW in California. Eric Dickerson, they ask him, oh, you didn't know who your parents are. Aren't you a no count black male with no parents tell us all about that Mr. Dickerson and so yes the teacher she tells me eh, that's not your father and I go home and they, everyone goes really angry and upset and oh that F&B word I said now if he had been to, and they didn't beat that out did you notice now if he had been talking about any of these white owners responsible for giving generations of black males brain damage and then no health care if he had called them the B word ooh, might not have been the interview you can't come on KCRW talking that way Al Davis and the rest of us you mean Jerry Jones and the rest of us what do you mean but you can call that's who I suspect the teacher was that told him especially at that time a black female you can come on and call a black female educator a black B then When it got later in the program and he said it was bullish when he was talking about the white owners, white male and white female owners of the NFL teams and he said it was bullish. What was bullish? Oh, the fact that they give black players like himself brain damage and lie about it. Oh, you can't say that's bullish. They bring, Eep. hey, I'm all for G-rated. I just said that we had justice on the program all those years. G-rated. I'm all for that. I said that all the time. I don't come in here and get a potty mouth unless I'm quoting Earl Butts or whatever. Then, you know, hey, no censoring race soldiers. But I mean, hey, I'm all for G-rated all the time. So when he gets wound up, especially if this is something that's pre-recorded, uh-oh, he's going to slip in and, and maybe that's what his mother said at the time, right? He's being authentic to the story. No problem, but beep. And then when you come around to talk about, oh yeah, they give black players brain damage and lie about this bull, beep. No problem. It's okay to call a black. Now, if Snoop did that, Tupac did that, Kanye West did that, we got to have a congressional inquiry. No name calling, but just noticing that no profanity. That's the way it should be. And certainly no name calling, no B word, none of that. No football either. Lots of reasons. Uh, Let's see. Uh, They talked about. He said, when, before I even move on that, now Eric Dickerson did say he had brain damage. So VGQ, I'm not, you know, no admonishment of Mr. Dickerson. I'm just saying that he said that this was in the United States. This is white power. That is not true. We just heard about Canada, Brazil, all over the known universe. NASA executive, as I said, known universe. It is not just the United States. If he knew anything about the other football it would be the same thing all the time. Monkey chants and bananas and no different. Can't hire any executives. So exactly the same known universe, not just the U.S. Let's see. Uh He's the F word to fairness. We just want fairness. We just want it to be fair. No, we want justice. Correctness. Incidentally, they, uh, he was talking about the older players not having health care and I mean the NFL is a billion dollar industry like for real for real they could take Madden money and have health care for the players that is a billion dollar entity to itself they just sat around and uh, weeped and moaned about John Madden who had a long life and I'm sure he had health care that video game alone could knock out health care No, they could have put a trust fund. That game has been around for so long, they could have put a trust fund for just that purpose in 1995. The interest in what have you alone that they could have accrued. It's been around so long, they could have invested at Yahoo from like day one. Healthcare for the players. We're going to knock that out. No. Many reasons. No football. Like, black people serious? Like, enjoy the Super Bowl hope you had fun with Antonio Brown and Emmett Smith and Lamar Jackson and all Eric Dickerson all these generations of black males with brain damage because we don't do this anymore not messing up my body not damaging my brain for white entertainment let's see when they talked about domestic extremism now they did say white supremacy racism there specifically but they said what are we going to do to stop this problem you know racism is not extreme it's natural which is true but that can be changed to say we're going to reclassify because white supremacy racism is not acceptable so they said when we start looking at behaviors that suggest this person might be a problem domestic terrorist uh what they've been calling unruliness in the air that might be a major indicator all of these folks that have been going to public meetings and yelling and cursing at public officials threatening them go the F back to your country who do you think you are and I'm not going to wear a mask that might be an indicator whole lot of simple things like that you can just start it going down the list like oh okay and that might even be yelling out at the high school game chain him up where is his own thing because they start young sometimes Dylan roof is only 21 real simple things that they're serious about stopping this like right now because i've seen they said hey 9 11 which some people still have suspicions about even after all these years Hey, you created a whole department, got irritated genie of Southeast a job, right? Black Panther Party, you changed gun laws, right? I've seen when they are serious about solving a problem. If domestic terrorism, the Timothy McVeigh's and Dylan Storm Roos, at all, if they're really a problem, January 6th, if this is really a problem, well, then let's get to it. Let's see all of the nonsense about affirmative action. Like every time that's white supremacy, racism, willful, deliberate every single time. If it does not start and end with, hey, the undisputed champions of affirmative action are white. Get a white woman, Hillary Clinton or whoever. Pick whatever white woman you think. Stick her up there. The champions of affirmative action every time if they don't say that well then they're just practicing white supremacy racism part for the course when they had the segment on uh james ionazo this is the white man who went to the smoothie place one if you work at merrill lynch you make enough money you can get a really nice vitamix or any other type of juicer blender that way you can have total control to make sure that no peanut butter enters your beverage or your child's beverage that notwithstanding uh mr Ayazano, he goes there and terrorizes the facility calls no count and what i just said what did i just say go back to your country and all that ping he goes and tries to break the door down to go terrorize this little 18 year old female non-white female he works at Merrill Lynch. That's another one, like I pointed out with uh, NASA, when they try to say that it's uneducated, dumb, ignorant white people. But that's also one when they talk about how black people are poor, like Gus T and don't have any money and are in squalor and everything. Huh, maybe we're ignorant and don't understand crypto and all the rest. Or maybe all of the financial wizards and advisors are race soldiers. Who lie to and deceive and swindle the black people when they get an opportunity. And it seems like there's some evidence that that's the case. Hmm. Hmm. I guess I could pause. I didn't play it. But they had a report just this week about Odell Beckham Jr. He got his contract with the aforementioned Los Angeles Rams. Eric Dickerson. Talk about concealing that. They allowed him to get his paycheck in cryptocurrency which is somewhere i think it's like a half million dollars for what he's getting for the rams for a half season or whatever half million dollars not a small amount of money he got it in cryptocurrency crypto had a tough week right they've tracked the amount of money and he's lost i think about a quarter of a million dollars i think it's more than that i think it, it might even be that he's lost like a third of a million dollars, right, over what his original, if he had just taken the four hundred and fifty thousand dollars in cash, because apparently they still tax it at that level, regardless of how you are paid, and then the crypto changes and all that, so that I could see easily being another one where they do people i think uh newly minted new york city mayor adams mayor eric adams i think he is getting a portion of his salary also in cryptocurrency something to just be mindful about if black people are duped that way financially next uh... the segment on laguna hills i just it was a cows she was talking on social media today victim and she was saying that she always feels some type of way and Uh, Playing that segment, I love that segment with President Obama talking about the uh, children. I just I love it. And then there's so many examples. Like man, get out of (laughs) here! Like uh, VGQ to him too. But yeah, white children are not ignorant, and no, they do not seem uh, any different. Certainly not better. Uh, If you mean replace white supremacy with justice, no, I've seen no improvement, no movement in that direction at all. Chain him up. Where's your under- perfect understanding of what it means to be black and how I should relate to you? I'm a white man in training uh, and they said counseling they didn't They didn't say punitive action, right? Not on the, the the school to prison pipeline track that is already working efficiently for black males. That's not what they said, right? They said counseling got Jane Elliott. She can come in and pick up her $5,000 retainer and hang out with him for lunch and tea for 30 minutes. Uh, Let's see. They, They yelled at the cheerleader too. I thought that was even how cowardly does it get? Like you're going to threaten the cheerleaders too and they pointed out that she was biracial. I just thought that was significant because I've said consistently that white people are not ignorant about racism. They even point out Discern. oh this is a negra that may have a white parent now she may have self-identified as biracial or whatever the case may be but that did come through on the clip she was not just a non-white person person of color biracial uh let's see and there's more I could say I'll stop there Uh yeah there's more I could say I The uh, identity mix up and all that. Anywho, uh, for this one program, I do ask that we not use uh, metaphors. There were lots of them uh, this week. Community, I think, in general, when it's used as a metaphor. Uh, They had the one report that said attitudes of ingrained racism. Uh, Black people having conflicted feelings because of racism that happened in the past. Like, I don't know what that means either. Uh, not at the top end of the spectrum when they were talking about white people coming into the neighborhood of West Adams in California uh, when they talked about Prince Andrews they said that he was casting mud throwing mud at his accusers that is in the word God that metaphor specifically uh, and how mud consistently will be associated with black people and something vile uh, it's encouraged not to use that metaphor um, Play the hand that you're dealt. Eric Dickerson said that when talking about how the United States is white power. Uh, All the card, race card and play that name. We're talking about terrorism, not a card game. Metaphors, race soldiers are extraordinary. And even you see a lot of the metaphors these are in common use they know the power of a language like that where if you repeat things over and over other people will start picking them up and using them most many if not all of these metaphors are transmitting ideas and thoughts of white supremacy racism anyway pot calling the kettle black and such victims gusty included we frequently are still learning, so sometimes we don't have logic to articulate our views. Uh, if we could be as precise as possible, uh, sharing our thoughts, suggestions, that would be great. I'll give reminders about the metaphors. The number again is 720 716 7300 The code five six four nine four three pound press star six one if you would like to participate Uh, if you know you're in a noisy area uh, if you could uh, maybe get to a quieter area to share your thoughts uh, if you could please use your mute button that would be awesome uh, just so we don't have to compete with a lot of unnecessary background noise Uh, if you have multiple things to say uh, and or will take more than five minutes Use your first five, share your thoughts, and then once everyone has shared at least once, you can come back and share your additional thoughts, questions, observations. Uh, Folks have thoughts on uh, the possibility of a black female Supreme Court justice being nominated. Uh, You can share a word or two on that as well. I didn't play an audio report on that one, but that was a big topic for the week as well. Uh, First few folks who dialed in with a hand up, the line should be open. Proceed.
16: Oh, may I be heard?
28: Irie in Louisiana. Yes,
16: ma'am. Uh, happy Mo- uh, It's not Monday. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm scanning paper, so it feels like a, a Monday, I guess, Monday evening. Um, hold up everyone. Hope Gus. And hope everybody's doing good and not as confused about the day of the week as I am somehow. Um it was a lot that was played. I can't even begin to remember what I want to mention from what I heard, but when I heard you mention cryptocurrency and everything and you know it's it's quite a rip off. White supremacists changing the rules yet again. Um and Right now, they're convincing non white people, um, particularly black people, with um, some racial showcasing with uh, Hill Harper. And um, he has some kind of platform. He's um, advocating for black people to buy crypto through his platform. Um, and he meant he did something that would uh, garner a, a cowbell. He said something about, um, in a, in a presentation online that we're all interconnected, our future and our destinies, whether you're black or from Israel. I said, Israel? I'm like, that's pretty specific, bro. You know, like, what's going on there? And lo and behold, um, Israel is the, the people that have partnered with him, white people who are Israeli that's that's why you said that, and um I, I was alarmed by that because when I read the nine eleven uh report um Israel is implemented and in, in as as a nation that does some of the most surveillance in the world and tortures um yeah, and the United States helps pay them well they pay them to Help surveil us and um, now they're into crypto guys and if you want to you can buy a percentage of a bitcoin they're calling it shatoshi sh-toss- so it's like basically if you break a dollar up you have a penny you have you know it's a denomination of a bitcoin and the message for me is all the money that um, was gambled and won is gone. And now they need common working people, slaves in a sense, enslaved people. Um, you know, and I'm not saying it to be insulting, but you know, we're we're enslaved by debt, white supremacy, you know, all kind of forms, but they need us to um gamble so there can be a steady flow of um income for themselves, uh, from these uh, crypto. It's a joke too because I just got an email from um, crypto. dot com. I don't have anything going on with them. But my son convinced me to sign up. Um, let me know if I'm running over Gus. But my son encouraged me to sign up, um, and I get emails and they said something about Adidas and Prada having NFTs. I, I, I <laughs> what? What? Like, I can't um somebody mentioned i think it may have been on this program the the uh, racism uh that's encoded with the i think it's bored apes um and i found that to be really sophisticated because probably the same people that made that nft came back with something called winter bears so they're just making it look like animals but it's interesting Hmm, the first animal you come up with is for an nft not dolphins Not you know, not dogs, not an ape. Hmm. But they're white. They're Hmm. excuse me. They they are albino. Um, as far as the Supreme Court justice being a non-white black female, she's going to be just as victimized by racism, I suspect, as um uh, Justice Thomas. Um, you can't, you don't get on the Supreme Court without uh, being in allegiance to the system of racism, white supremacy in America, BGQ, for me. And I wanted to say, there was one more thing I wanted to say. Dang it, dang it, dang it. I had it. Well, if I have enough time, I'll um, unmute and ask to speak. But, yeah, that's it. I hope everybody stays safe and everything and stay well. Um. Yeah. And, and and talk to your kids, make sure they're not doing anything that they will um, have to live through and regret, you know, still working through things with my son. But um, being constructive, asking questions, um, you know, as far as his medicine and these things they're trying to give him. And um, because of my codification and asking questions, we've been able to uh, evade a lot of unnecessary medical treatment. Thank you, and I'll meet my line.
28: Hmm. much obliged, Irie, uh, best wishes, uh, to your son. Once again, uh, sobriety would be best. Uh, indeed. Talk to your children and check in. Um, maybe you can say that one to him often as possible. Sobriety would be best white people have made so many, uh, inroads with their, uh, narcotics, Alice Sebo, narcotics and narcotics. um, the let's say I was going to say the we with the Supreme Court uh justices and all that the context of white supremacy. We're here February 21 next month, 13 years. We've been on so long. Supreme Court Justice Sotomayor, when she was confirmed in 2009, we were live on the air ian honey lopez was our guest who actually is a scholar of jurisprudence that's what uh the book we were discussing white by law is all about um the history of supreme court cases non white people trying to go and get their racial classification changed to white and pretty much all of them being denied and how they you know adjudicated what it means to be classified as white one of the very first pro- programs Uh, that we did Uh, we came back on the air in 2009 Uh, but yeah I didn't I did not think that that was a monumental uh, event I didn't think that that was going to end racism or you know produce substantial improvements and so far it has not so yeah I don't uh, they could put my mom on the bench Michelle Obama or anybody else I do not think that will solve any problems Long live Clarence Thomas. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Number again, 720-716-7300. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61. If you would like to participate Uh, quickly, the report on... Chicago and the terrorism John Birch now that's one uh, as a part of the settlement if you want to call it reparations they're supposed to be teaching in the Chicago public schools if it's virtual or whatever uh, about the history of terrorism and white supremacy John Birch in Chicago they're supposed to be using the word terrorism when they spoke with some of his uh, victims man worthy of great pity isn't that what Mr. Fuller says those black males tortured 26 years in prison crime I didn't commit all the rest of it and he says man I got out I got a degree in poetry now I'm hoping to get a certificate of innocence I said it sound like Alice Sebold who goes to to college and gets a degree in poetry in a system of racism, white supremacy to do what exactly? Not that I'm disparaging. Well, I guess I am disparaging poetry. I'm all, I'm not a poetry fan, so I'm all right with that. I guess I am disparaging poetry to some degree, but what I could see like Alice Siebold, white woman, racist woman, like, Oh, okay. You get your poetry degree and you go write poems about lynching Negroes and make up, you know, <laughs> books filled with lies uh, about lynching and raping Negroes and all the rest. Like, Oh, okay. And you can sell a million copies. Like, okay. I don't know what a victim of racism can do with a poetry degree like uh, I don't know and then a certificate reminded me of Kanye West when he was kind of poking fun of people getting and Ralph Ellison invisible man how white people will pile us up with worthless pieces of paper your certificate of innocence they didn't say a check to compensate you for stealing 26 years of your life but here is your certificate of innocence you have to buy a fring put that next to your bachelor of arts and poetry scattered activities worthy of great pity John Burge is a Vietnam veteran by the way just add that he just like Mark Furman Vietnam veterans Uh, other folks who dialed in with a hand up line should be open. Proceed.
16: Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. All right. Thank you. Greetings to you and everyone who participate in the program. So, um, I wanted to comment on the black hockey player. Um, that, um, you know, they made the no- the monkey noise. And, um, he was, I guess he was just so surprised that <clears throat> racism still exists. And he just couldn't wait to hear what the league would say about it. And, um, I can't wait either because I, I want to know what they're going to do as well because hockey's always been racist. Um, always. And I can't believe... Well, I guess I can believe he doesn't understand. Um, and I think maybe just the reactionary part of it because we sometimes get so angry when people call us names that we just react like that. You know, I don't know, just to hit somebody. I don't know, I just wouldn't do, respond like that to that situation, but... um I may or may not respond, I don't know, but I wouldn't have responded like that and hit him, but that's his you know he was upset <laughs> so um oh uh the um the um the, that uh christian um nationalism uh church for uh they call it the right wing activist church, but um I think they say that, and just to make it seem like only Democrats—I mean, only Republicans—are racist. Only so no other people are racist. Only Republicans, and <clears throat> since Donald Trump was uh, more vocal um, than we've seen in a while, they are—they just make it seem as if he and only people that support him are racist, and so is that church, as if we have black churches because you didn't want us in your white churches. That was all the churches before, before Donald Trump. So I just thought that was crazy. And then in Tennessee as well. And, um, I don't know what the 10 freeway. So West Adam street. So I was thinking they're building up over there too, just to push the black people out some way or another. You Cause because at some point they'll sell, especially if those little houses, they were, what, 25000 50000 when they moved in, whenever they bought it, and now it's like worth almost a million dollars. So I think those prices will get a lot of the black um, homeowners to sell their property, and then they'll v- fix it up the way they're doing it now and have it for the people they really want in there, and it won't be... Black people and um, Eric Dickerson. Uh, I didn't know he had the um, CTE. Uh, I liked him in football. Um, I think it was um, awful that they paid the people in um, electric as a lot about it. And that for us now, they have celebrities. Uh, advertising it to make it seem appealing or more appealing for us to try it. And then when the market drops, of course, or when the worst goes down, of course we lose because we're betting on that instead of pulling out because a lot of the times we don't understand the market. And with that kind of money, I would have totally studied that market, especially if my pay is coming from that realm. I would have totally studied that and did something. So – Thank you for taking my call. I'll mute my line and let someone. Let me see. Oh, the guy that um, spent 26 years in um, in jail uh, for something that he didn't do. I thought that was terrible, and then they tortured him just to say that he did the crime. That's uh, and you just took past. Oh, a quarter of his life away. That you, how do you repay that? How do you get that back? It's it's just terrible. I don't mean, need my life. I had to set a timer so I wouldn't go over five minutes. Okay. <laughs> Thank you.
28: They they repaid him. He, they gave him a certificate of innocence. So, due compensation. Uh, I can only say it is not possible to play tackle football safely especially you do any competitive collegiate even high school really uh, NFL like oh yeah you are going to have some brain damage just just a matter of how much brain damage how many injuries are you going to have if you continue to play this game but yeah it is not possible to play tackle football safely Um, I want to make sure I just my little financial disclaimer, uh, Gus T is not an expert on anything, white supremacy, racism or cryptocurrency, currency, period. Uh, So I am not, you know, making my commentary to uh, encourage or discourage uh, anyone from studying or investing in cryptocurrency. Uh, I'm just. Pointing out these were two separate reports about Eric Adams. He's supposed to get some of his compensation in cryptocurrency. Uh, Mayor Eric Adams in New York City. Uh, And then uh, Odell Beckham Jr. uh, with L.A. Rams. uh, How much money he has apparently lost in getting his money from cryptocurrency. I just thought it was important because there is a very long history of that sort of thing happening. White people playing up and encouraging some sort of endeavor or financial opportunity and saying oh this is great you'll make all kinds of money and i bought a new yacht and mansion and blah 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 and then get the black people in and same thing eric dickerson said lie conceal deceive you and then the black people come and invest and whambo lose everything literally lose the shirt off their back I think Odell Beckham Jr. has made enough money that he should not be in that category from the loss on this. But I mean, that was definitely something that caught my attention. Like, ooh, I hope this is not a part of a trend that I have seen before. Uh, Number again, 720-716-7300. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star six one if you would like to participate. Uh, Other folks, if we miss you totally and you have a hand up, proceed. Greetings. Retired firefighter in Florida.
5: Greetings to everyone. Greetings uh, to you, Gus, the host. Uh, The the statement of uh, selecting a and uh, he was to, he was kind of specific uh, black female judge uh, non-white people have been under the global system of racial white supremacy for centuries. Uh, in that course of time uh one has to assume that uh there has been a lot of mental damage done to its victims. Uh something that I would describe as uh counter racist or racist uh CTE. Uh, in turn white people who practice racism and white supremacy know their victims pretty well uh on what they can do to be able to persuade uh a large number of non-white people therefore by me saying that i think the president of the united states was practicing racism and white supremacy uh some say that uh that uh particular uh statement was made to do something that is called to to uh up his uh, approval rating, whatever that exactly means. Uh but it's something that would uh be to his benefit. Uh I, I do know that. <laughs> uh Another thing I thought was interesting, uh, because someone did the research, uh, out of, it was something like maybe seven to eight uh, victims of racism uh, that, were, that are the uh, pool of uh, choices, out of that seven to eight, I think about 99 to 90% of them, are sexually committed to white people and as dr francis christ welsing uh i've heard have stated have stated that that has some mental health effect on victims when you are in a sexual relationship with white people under a global system of racism white supremacy i'm not sure on how that is connected with his statement, but I would not be surprised if it does have something to do with his statements or what his request is. And uh, white people are pretty thorough in their research before they make a statement, and uh, I'm pretty sure all of the things that that non-white person that I listened to the research that he made, I'm pretty sure that that white person who is the elected president of the United States have done that research and probably more. And that's my report for this week. Thank you.
28: Much obliged. Retired firefighter in Florida. I'm not surprised. Try me. Hey, Clarence Thomas, uh, I think even going all the way back to uh, the late Thurgood Marshall. I'm not sure we will see a black person, male or female who, if they are married in some sort of attempted marriage to a black person who is of the opposite gender, meaning it's if they elect a black male judge, they are married to a black female black female judge married to a black male might be something that we never see might have to replace white supremacy with justice to actually see that and hey hopefully we can replace white supremacy with justice and none of this will matter we won't have to sit around and oh we added one more colored person first time we added a black female first time we added a black male and first time we added a latino and all this other nonsense it just be pick the best person and let us continue we don't have any race soldiers to pick from so pick the first person and you know let us proceed like that has nothing to do with anything that's you know total anachronistic thinking from day long gone by when we were dominated by white people race soldiers Uh, let's see. Number again, much obliged retired firefighter in Florida. Uh number again 720 716 7300 the code 564943 pound. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. I was considering uh eric dickerson's autobiography as our next read for the book club because hey we're right on time and i had saw that that was about to come out but the audiobook is not available until like the middle of february so that that's one that we might have to maybe come back and revisit later but i think he does talk quite a bit about uh, white supremacy, racism, his dissatisfaction with the number of owners, even in the report where he was talking about the NFL. They currently only have one black head coach. They were talking about firing him all the time. <laughs> like Last year, uh, Mike Tomlinson is the one person they're talking about. And they were they were talking about firing him every other day like, oh, he is messing it up. Bruin things for Ben Roethlisberger's last couple of seasons. Like, get him out of here. Get him out of here. So it could have easily could have been zero. Guess they say all the Negros got brain damage, so we can't have them coach after it's all over. Uh, Oh, and incidentally, man, Eric Dickerson was talking about uh, uh, DeMarcus. Make sure I get his name correct. My Lord. DeMarcus Smith. That is the same black male. He is the president of the NFL Players Union. He was saying that their union is really bad and ineffective. That's why they don't have health care. We were talking about unions yesterday and saying the same general pattern, that they're ineffective, especially when they start allowing black people to be members. Then uh, they got no power, can't get anything done. Uh, But he was talking about DeMarcus Smith. That is the exact victim. John Gruden got in trouble, lost his job and all the rest, head coach of the uh las vegas raiders saying that demarcus smith oh rubber lips and then he comes up whoa whoa whoa, whoa." uh rubber i didn't i didn't mean nothing racist i meant uh he he's just untrustworthy yeah that's what i meant i I call everybody if i think they're dishonest i call them rubber lips yeah brother demarcus smith can't catch a break poor man uh I, i incidentally i thought it was interesting Eric Dickerson and talking about Mr. Smith, he was saying that he's not a good representative, which might be the case. I don't know, Uh, but he was saying he's not a good president representative for the players union. Uh, He said that he's not a player. He's an attorney. He doesn't know what it's like to play with a broken hand to can't sleep because you have been so injured. And he gave the other, you know, ailments and things that you have to go through as a player. And I just hope brain damage, You cannot play tackle football safely. Talking about safety, even I remember uh, Ronnie Lott for the San Francisco 49ers. They're playing the Rams this weekend, no less. Uh, They have a commercial where they brag about how he got his pinky amputated so that he could play a game of football. And, like, this is something to brag about. Like, are you out of your Brain damage. Yes, you are out of your mind. Brain damage. Amputating a finger, not because you have diabetes or gangrene, not even a hangnail, but because you need to play a football game and you do not want to wait an adequate amount of time for your hand to heal. That is the type of disposable thinking that the entire football culture conditions us to have towards black male bodies, particularly, specifically. Beat you. That's why no health care. Now, Ronnie Lott, I think, you know, well, I would hope he would be one of the exceptions. He got some nickels piled up so he has health care and he can die on a comfortable bed and what have you. But I mean, are you serious? amputate a a limb or finger and all the rest of this and get shot up with all this go out and play on a broken hand separated shoulder and then no health care and brain damage and they ask me if I want my child to play this brain damage the disposability of black body now that is true it's a lot of white sacrifice in football too but I mean hey Tom Brady will have health care. Ben Roethlisberger will have health care. It's a lot of white sacrifice. A lot of white players that don't. But I mean, hey, they look out for their talk about disproportionate. Woof. Terry Bradshaw and the like. They will look out for them. Anywho, other folks who dialed in, uh, if you have commentary to share. Line should be open. Proceed.
26: May I be heard?
28: Caller in New York. Yes, sir.
26: Uh, Greetings, guys. Greetings to callers and listeners. Um, The hockey segment I'll start off with first had me thinking immediately. The sport has predominantly always been kind of out of the reach of non-white people um, for centuries, if not decades or whatever. But for multiple reasons. I believe the cold weather, (laughs) playing in the cold, most non-white people, especially black, are not really fans of that. Um, But also, I believe the cost, cost of the equipment and the cost to actually get into these programs is, you know, can be a little steep. So that has kept a lot of us away from the sport. Um, Henceforth, I think it's one of those um, sports that will never really be so-called integrated, whatever that may mean. Um, the, also the Asian segment next point leading up was really interesting about Harvard. And I I mean, I'm not chuckling or laughing to be mean or facetious or anything. I just think it's, it's just like, I I almost don't even care. You know, um, I'm trying to stay alive. I'm trying to stay healthy Um, eat healthy and take care of my family. Um, They're worried about getting into Harvard. I mean, whatever, you know, VGQ, they they have their own things to deal with. Um, The second about driving while black, extremely dangerous, extremely dangerous. We've seen instances over and over and we'll continue to see them where driving while black can lead to death and um, it is something to take very serious. I think that segment like, I don't even know I'm wondering if there's anybody that has done like extensive research as to that um, situation because it's something that probably deserves some real in-depth research as to black people driving in this um, in this so-called country because it is a very terrifying thing if you're driving around uh, especially as a black male, darker you are the worse it is and It it can be a situation if you don't know how to respond in the situation, you may lose your life. And even if you do know how to respond, you may lose your life. Um, That's just what it is. Uh, The segment about sleeping from last week was spot on. Um, I think some of the things you mentioned about being comfortable and, and, and putting yourself in the best position possible to sleep is extremely important and I won't deny it. I'm on the East coast right now. And I should have been in bed a half an hour ago, like really 11 o'clock at the time. I have to be honest with you and the rest of the listeners. Um, But I also think one thing to mention also is to turn off devices, those phones, those iPads, those um, TV, I mean, I think TV in the bedroom is a bad idea. Uh, to be honest. I think it's one of the worst things you could do, Um, and it will steer you away from even reading at night um, as a, you know, as a thing as well, which I think is very helpful. Um, I think I'll mute my line on that, allow people to chime in. That'll be all for me now. Thank you.
28: Much obliged. Uh, Our caller in New York, He's he's not feeling the people of color. The thing that I think is uh, significant with the affirmative action segment is that I believe it is a white man who brought. I mean, you want to talk about racial showcasing? Uh, It's a white man who has been bringing these cases. Uh, I wanted to make sure I get his name correct. Bloom, B L U M, uh, is. His last name, make sure I get his first name. I think it's Peter, Peter Bloom, I believe is this fellow's name, but Edward Bloom, sorry, Edward Bloom. Uh, but he's been the one who has been challenging these acts uh, where he can go get some uh, aggrieved non-white people to say, yeah, affirmative action is keeping us out, man. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, if he's being honest, yeah, it's keeping us out to get all these white women in here, man. Got enough white women at Harvard and Vanderbilt, too. Uh, Anywho, uh, in terms of the uh, driving and fatalities, uh, the program that we did last summer, uh, I believe towards the end of July, Amy Schmidt, her book Right of Way. That's the general thesis of the book uh, that black people, black pedestrians, specifically black male pedestrians are most likely to die. And she has lots of different cases uh, of them being hit, hit and runs or hit in crosswalks or intersections or whatever it is. And. Uh, same type of thing that they were talking about there, that where black people live, very difficult to get crosswalks and all the rest of it. And I mean, we're talking about paint, not a drone. This is not a million dollar investment. A can of paint crosswalk pretty low tech for some reason. Areas with black people anywhere in the continent. Lots of black people live. Ooh, can't get a stop sign crosswalk. Nothing. We just run over all kinds of niggers here. Right of way is the book, and I think end of July, end of July, she's on the program. A white woman, white guests only, of course, but very interesting info in that. I reference it all the time. I see it. Uh, we, they've been talking about it in so many different areas, and because they reported so many more traffic fatalities over the past two years with the shutdown, less traffic on the road, ironically, has led to more fatalities. People have been even more reckless uh, on the road. Uh, Let's see. Other folks who dialed in, if you have a hand up number again, seven, two, zero, seven, one, six, seven, three hundred. The code five, six, four, nine, four, three pound. Press star six, one. If you would like to participate. Uh, Other folks who have commentary, if we missed you totally and you have a hand up uh, line should be open. Proceed.
27: May I be heard?
28: Caller in Florida. Yes, sir.
27: Yes, sir. Thank you very much, sir. Greetings to just the hosts, the listeners, and callers. Um, I was thinking about the uh, the segment where the uh, the racism was practiced in the uh, by the white hockey player, and I think from what I heard, I guess he uh, started doing the the monkey animal gestures when the guy turned around. And I think the guy punched him or something like that. Um, it was. I was thinking about, I think there was another audio segment where I think it was at a high school hockey team that were being racist or practicing racism in a locker room. I thought about that connection. Um, and when they were doing the interview on this one tonight, I think that was a metaphor that was used uh, where that might have been a victim they were interviewing, and he was like, wow, like, in 2022, you know, where, you must be from the moon or something like that. I, I had never heard that one. That's a new one to me. Uh, he said he must be from the moon. Um, but... That's the system of white supremacy right there. You know, it's to be expected every day. Uh, and the, the incident that took place where the victim was in Brazil, I'm glad that there was someone who uh had a recording of it. And I wonder how it would have went or would have concluded if no one recorded that. But it still look even it still looks like even though They had a recording, Uh, like you mentioned, in the audio mentioned that. I think maybe there was charges against him, I guess, for punching the guy. I'm not sure. Uh, The segment about the, I think that was at a high school basketball game where the the white racist uh, team was doing the chant or saying, like, chain them up, chain them up. It's like, you know, where where did he get that from? If you know, where the guy was saying he expected I guess the parents to admonish him or punish punish him or something. I'm like, he most likely got it from them, I don't know. Or some kind of uh white student, white friend or associate because it start it really does start early to mean that directly because like I walked up to a white baby and like, oh my gosh, like what what is this? This this, this is a nigger right here, you know? And white people saying, Well one white person was like, um, you know, my child called somebody a nigger, uh, you know, and we don't use that language. And the black person respond like, I don't believe you, you know <laughs> You know what I mean? So it it really does uh start early. Um and with and with language white people are skilled. And um, there was the the white mother, Amelia King in Virginia, if y'all seen it, um, at the school board meeting, where she was like, oh, I'll I'll bring every gun, all guns or something like that, all guns loaded, and then got the nerve to make a statement saying, well, you know, I didn't literally mean firearms, but you said guns. Like, I meant all the resources. So they know how to still find a way to use language to not be uh, seen as violent or anything like that. And the media practicing racism, I think, helps out with that. And about the uh, the football, there was a report where, you know, of course, they're going to practice white supremacy and um put high value on Tom Brady and they said that they actually said that there was a report where I think the, his wife, I I can't remember what her name was says that um, she doesn't like to see him get hit. So obviously it's racism, racism in that given that he's a quarterback, so he's less likely to be hit and have any kind of brain damage, like the black males that dominate, uh, the league. And that's all I have to say. Thanks for allowing me to speak.
13: Hey, you
1: gotta be out of
28: your mind. Have good looking Tom Brady have these no count black males hop on top of him left and right. Like you gotta be crazy. Like that's not what we paid all of our money for. That's a good looking white man. That's what they said about Mark Furman too, but that's a good looking white man. Like we, we have protection for old Tom Brady. Now, Cam Newton, rest of these folks, hey, whatever. Like, let Eric Dickerson, hey, brain damage and brain damage and brain damage. That's what they said in the lawsuit. They used to do the racial norming like you niggers were pretty stupid to begin with. So, you know, you start off with uh, 50 cents. You can't lose that much. Hey, you know, Tom Brady, that's a good looking white man. You got to protect him. Make sure he, you know, can't have these black males take out their frustrations and what have you on Tom Brady drew Brees, lots of good looking white man throughout the league uh the from the moon metaphor that is another i guess he he was not aware of the nasa executive case from this week maybe he didn't see hidden, hidden figures either uh, be like oh man it's not just something <laughs> on planet earth where they practice white supremacy racism but yeah that it's lots of those i put that you must be from the moon i put that we had a listener some years ago she said it would be so maybe powerful i don't know how people would receive it but like to go back and get all the different clips because it's been years to go back and have you'll hear like black people saying it is 1965 i cannot believe in 1970 And I cannot believe in 1985 that he is calling people. I cannot. It is 1991. It is 1999. It is 2010. I cannot believe in 2015 that you it is 2020. And you like to just put all those because I mean, you can go way back and hear black people saying that like any time period, just like. Wow, this racism thing just does not go out of style. Like, it does not matter what year, what time, all of that stuff. Like, chain them up, hang them up. Like, wow, his grandparents were saying that. His great-grandparents were saying that. His parents are saying that. 10, 15 years from now, his children will be saying like, oh, that's what this is. Not ignorance, well-trained, and then the dedication. The uh, And incidentally, with the school where the child, he's yelling, you know, chain him up and where's his owner and all the rest of it. Uh, the dad, they said the black dad went to report this misconduct and they kicked him out. Well, wow. black male privilege uh the powerful black male everyone quakes when he speaks uh incidentally that would be another reason no football none of the athletics we had a mom she called in about two years ago she said they went to it was some sort. i think it was like basketball or some whatever they went to the game go support their sister she got in and her child i think was uh, later they were not coming in at the same time her child tried to get in they said there's no seats left get out of here and they kicked her out and wouldn't let her in she went to go talk and the other parents went and got an attitude with her like this sort of thing is so common it's not even worth it especially not for football and brain damage but for any of it like psh, we can get exercise elsewhere leave all that alone it's just going to be a whole lot of tackiness and racism uh let's see the uh Yeah, I don't believe that either. The child is calling folks nigger, and the white parents say we we don't we don't we don't use that sort of language. I don't. I'm horrified. It's disgraceful. It's an outrage. We we just don't talk like that, really. Where exactly did they hear the word nigger at? They found your Dave Chappelle eight tracks. That's what it is. Hmm. Found your stash of NWA records from way back when. Hmm. And then can't be correct used to that. They didn't just call an old random person. They didn't see a picture of Tom Brady and call him a nigra. No. He correctly identified a nigra as a ne- Like, hmm, hmm. Tell me anything, white man, white woman. Uh, Any other folks, commentary, they want to make sure they get in. uh, The number 720-716-7300, the code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you have commentary. Uh, Any folks, comments, anybody we missed totally?
10: Yeah, go Uh, I wanted to say something to you real quick, man. I think you should run with that idea you just had about uh, putting together all those clips of uh, people saying what year it is and they can't believe racism is happening. Here's why. Just the other day, I'm washing the dishes, and I thought about doing something of that nature, going through video clips of uh, racial events that occurred that people interviewed on the news and cutting that section out because I I still hear black people say that today. I can't believe... This stuff is happening. It's 2022. So I, I guess it's kind of something that's out there in the universe that the creator put out there, and I think it's an absolutely excellent ideal to do because I think it would paint a very great picture. So clearly that lady, you and I are in the same wavelength, if you believe in that, or, or, or maybe because we're, we're aiming to practice counter-racism that we're thinking about this situation. So I think it's something that should be done. Now, if you do it, or somebody else does it, or maybe if I get the time, I'm going to look into doing that because I think that is crucially important. Because I also see it on the internet. I think it could be condensed probably down into a, a one-minute clip or into a meme or whatever they call it, so that it could be passed around the internet. Because that's still, at least in my opinion, one of the goofiest things I hear Black people consistently say is the year. And then, oh, how does racism still exist? And it's 2021 or 2022 or, you know, some event. So I think that's an absolutely excellent idea, for one. Um, the, the kid who was in the stands calling, mocking the black player with racial slurs, uh, for, like for me, I grew up in the suburbs. So that's actually very, very common. Uh, it's just, it's just now it's able to be recorded so people get to see it in real time. I mean, it's so common that, like, when in, in, when you have a black school or a predominantly black school, play a predominantly white school. In the uh, Northeast Ohio area, that's very, very common. is uh is like something that gets passed on like each generation has to go and do it it's just ingrained in white people at this point in time as part of the practice of racism white supremacy uh, to do those things particularly in academic settings i think it's just because not a lot of black people go to school that frequently with white people or because of the interaction between white schools and black schools really aren't that much uh generally what i've seen is it'd be a, a white school that have a certain level of black kids who go there so maybe let's say negligible eight to ten percent black population, so you know, maybe seven to six percent of the total school district is black. Um, you you'll see that happen even on an individual level when they play at the white schools where the white people in the stands will say racist stuff. It might not be overtly racist, but they know how to they know how to convey their point. You get what I'm saying? I've seen it from even playing uh travel uh league baseball. And I'm talking about in the early, early, like when you're still in the single digits, little kids where you have the grown adults out there saying racist stuff at players on the uh, baseball field. So that's a very, very common. When people, white people try to act like they don't know what's going on, they're hoping you're stupid. Um, I also wanted to add uh, the lady, I believe it's Irie, who called. She was speaking about uh, cryptocurrencies. Um, there's a course that I would suggest black people check out. It's not something that you have to buy. And actually, it was a course from MIT, uh, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, uh, that prestigious mathematical institution that um, they do a lot of work on technology that we use in our day-to-day lives. Uh, things that we're probably even utilizing right now with the streaming phone calls, they they've put their hand into the code that makes it all work it's part of their old and uh, you can watch YouTube but they actually have like it's a real course that you could take at MIT it's uh, MIT course 15.s12 blockchain and money it's from fall of 2018 uh, instructor is Professor Gary Ginsler now if you guys pay attention to the real financial markets mr. Ginsler is the current chairman of the SEC, the Security and Exchange Commission, or I don't know if they put commission on it, but, but Security and Exchange. In 2018, is currently the top cop for investments in this country. Now, I suggest this because in that course, he covers what his views of Money and cryptocurrency and blockchain are, in his view. That's not saying that's what the worldview is, but it's before he probably knew. I'm not going to say before he knew it, but this is before he was an SEC chairman. He lays out exactly how he views it, exactly how he believes it should be regulated, um, his feelings, et cetera, et cetera. So you can get the, the answers you're looking for directly from the man who makes the decisions on what gets pushed through. Uh, what's legal and what's not legal in terms of securities. And if you understand what a security is, that's more of an investment issue, like uh, bonds are securities, stocks are securities, uh, derivatives, things of that nature. Uh, I suggest that you guys check that out to get a better understanding of how he uses it, but they also cover a lot of good points about how money systems actually work. All right, And there's something interesting he speaks on in this course where he literally says, uh, speaks about bribery. I'm talking about outright bribery, like, here, I'm going to go pay a politician off. He speaks about it in this very nonchalant way about how business really gets conducted, and he just says it in this classroom, and the classroom's filled with pretty much white people, non-white people, and maybe one or two black people. So I, I, it would behoove you to check it out, okay? So if you get a chance, it's uh, on YouTube. It's MIT's course, 15.S One, two, blockchain and money, fall 2018, uh, Professor Gary Gensler. Because a lot of times what I see, uh, black people are investing in cryptos. I'll tell you from my experience, I I haven't made any financial investment into crypto. Uh, I have technology that I can build things on top of those different blockchains and things of that nature, but I haven't done it. I'm still in the investigation mode. But I see a lot of black people's eyes are getting real big because they're seeing possibly getting rich quick. And that's one of the things that I've noticed heavily is black people tend to jump at that uh, ideal of getting rich because, you know, everybody wants to be rich. But I think in part, it also plays towards that ideal. If I get enough money, then I can escape white supremacy or maybe get, as Mr. Fuller says, get a little bit more creature comfort. So I put that out there so you guys can look into it, get a better understanding of it. And then you can make an adequate decision because countries are investing into this crypto stuff. Uh, there's other little uh, financial instruments that they're looking to create. So, for example, I believe banks have investment vehicles that you don't actually, you can invest into crypto or make money off of it, but you actually don't own it, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not just this seedy underground currency. It's been getting acquired by major banking institutions and financial firms around the globe okay? So they'll talk bad about it because if you talk bad about something, people tend to get scared. You can drop the price and then swoop in and buy all the stuff as the people are running out of the building because they think it's on fire and they're just trying to sell stuff. So there's strategies of deception that gets used so that people who want to corner a market right, can, can corner it. So the reason why I say check out that blockchain and money is because it's not a sales pitch for you to buy cryptocurrency of any form or NFTs. It's explaining to you how these systems actually work from a functional standpoint. Okay. Uh, That's all I have to say. And uh, I'll mute my mic.
28: Gary Gensler. We'll check it out. Much obliged for the information. Uh, Definitely do your research uh, before getting excited. White people can do a really good job like promoting and, hyping a product or oh man you gotta really invest oh man this is what to do like yeah and that can be appealing I think lots of folks have been fooled if we just get enough money woof, that will rescue us from racism white supremacy have not seen where you can get that much but like Oprah Winfrey all kinds of black people that have lots and lots Michael Jordan Michael Jackson lots of white people that have lots of money and not one black person non-white person has enough money so that white supremacy racism is no longer a problem for them why wow, we need to get this problem solved asap uh that will do us uh for the broadcast uh we did our full 3 hours uh we should be here for monday january 31 john 2 2- I think that's how you say it I'll have it correct pronunciation by Monday hopefully I'll hear someone else say his name accurately uh, in the next 48 hours but white man attorney uh, we should be discussing as I said uh, correct ways uh, how you can go about getting information about your local police department uh, forms to file that sort of thing history of discipline all of that normal time 8pm Eastern 5pm Pacific Uh, that's it much obliged for everyone tuning in for the broadcast hope it was worthy of your time and energy Uh, sobriety would be best for all the reasons uh, we have discussed Uh, we need proper working brain computers minimize all the brain damage that we can in any forms Uh, in addition to being sober if you're out and about this is not the time to be in verbal confrontations with strangers Uh, if You see someone, they're being rowdy and loud. Uh, This is not a time for confrontation. You should be thinking this might be Kyle Rittenhouse. If you didn't leave your residence prepared to kill and or die, exit. You should be thinking like, oh, man, this person could have an entire armed entourage at the ready. If you're in a vehicle, you are sober, buckled. You are not on the cell phone, just doing the small things that we can To keep ourselves as safe as possible under terroristic conditions uh, and doing the small things that we can to minimize contact with race soldiers, badge or no, John Burge. That said, Creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient. With ourselves, remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cow signing out. Thanks all for tuning in.
7: Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim,
9: brother. You're a victim. I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm -hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned.